This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everybody. Well, it is Friday morning, TGIF. Yeah, I can't quite say it's uh, bright and early, but it certainly is dark and early. Thanks for starting your weekend with me. It is supposed to be a wintry weekend. Who knows? I've seen estimates, depending on where you live, uh, I've seen estimates of anywhere from four inches of snow to a foot of snow. Uh, I am uh, going to try and get home right after the show or shortly after the show. And uh, try not to go really anywhere and enjoy a nice weekend home, catching up on reading, catching up on errands, uh, maybe even watch a film and uh, spend some time with my family. But uh, hopefully you have that option as well. But if you do have to go out, I would encourage you, please try not to drive like a knucklehead to use the uh, favorite term of New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. All right. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. It is that one time of the week, the most unpredictable hour in all of radio, where we turn over programming content, at least in inquisitive form, interrogatory form, to you. I am prepared to answer your questions on any subject. If you have questions about uh, film, uh, television, books, politics, history, uh, my personal history, radio, business, the business of radio, whatever the case may be, cocktails, uh, gambling, Atlantic City, New York, whatever the case may be, now is the time. Now, trivia questions, in spite of what my friend Curtis Lewis says, don't tend to make the best talk topics. So, if you call me and, and say, who, you know, who played center field for the 39 Yankees, I'm either going to know the question, I'm either going to know the answer or I'm not going to know the answer. The discussion sort of ends. So I would encourage you not to call with trivia questions just because that can kind of be a little bit boring. However, uh, also, there are some questions I'm not just going to be, I'm not going to be able to answer. Somebody asked me a car question. Why do certain cars get a better type of gas mileage? You have a better opportunity of getting an intelligent answer to, your, to that question by throwing a dart out onto the street, hitting a random person, and that random person would probably be able to give you a more, in, more in-depth, more intelligent response. We want conversations that spark questions. Now, to spur your creativity a little bit, we are going to give a prize of a The Other Side of Midnight baseball cap To whomever comes up with the best, the most creative question. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. The the award for most creative question or best question, that's not going to be determined by me. That will be determined by Matt Blaze and Molly. And if uh, Ryan gets here, Ryan. If not, then it will be Alex. Uh, The three of them will form a committee who get to uh, do that. 800-848-9222. Let me begin 
with Peter in Manhattan. Hello, Peter. Yeah, Frank, I saw that show tonight, and I'm still trying to figure out whether I liked it or not. What did you think of it? I'll hang up and listen. Uh, oh, thanks, Peter. Yeah, so I'm going to do a more in-depth review of this Mafia special. Uh, it's called The Last Gangster. It was on ABC TV. No affiliation with this radio station. I'm going to do a more in-depth review probably next hour. But in case – this is one of those shows where I have a lot of stuff to get to. So there might be stuff I intend to get to but just don't get to it. So let me give you my – Reader's Digest version of a review. I actually, um, I did not expect to like it, and I was not going to watch it. I, I was all set to watch it because I heard it was all about the Gambino crime family, and I'm certainly interested in the Gambino crime family, and maybe there's some good content from my new Racket Report podcast that I can steal. So I'm, um, I, I, then I see some of the promos, and it looks to be all about Sammy the Bull Gravano. And I have no interest in watching a two-hour special about Sammy the Bull Gravano. I find him to be a reprehensible individual. I don't think that there's terribly much for me to learn about Sammy that I don't already know. So I wasn't going to watch it. So I said um, I was all set to watch it. I actually canceled plans last night or to, to watch it. And then I saw it was all about Sammy. I was not going to watch it. I started watching the first five minutes, and I was sort of hooked. Because Curtis is right at the very beginning. My friend John Gotti Jr. is at the very beginning. And it's very well done. So I actually liked it much more than I expected to. However, it's really designed for people that don't necessarily know the story of Sammy Gravano and John Gotti. If you know nothing about the story, it does come from a little bit of a skewed editorial perspective. But it's not terribly biased. There is some bias, but there's bias in everything. If you don't know the story of Sammy Gravano and John Gotti and the mob, then it is it, it is worth watching. If you do know it, then you might still enjoy it, but there's not terribly much you're going to learn from it, in my opinion. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Pete is in Piscataway. It's that away. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. Hey, Frank, have you ever, have you ever interviewed any of these uh, WWF or NWA old jobbers like the Brooklyn Brawler? And get their side of the story about wrestling, how to sell the story, how to sell the action, stuff like that. You know, I'm trying to think. A lot of wrestlers uh, ha- ha- start out as as jobbers and as they're younger in their career before before moving on to more reputable careers. I um, and I'm trying to think. I don't know that I've ever interviewed a wrestler specifically about their time as a jobber. Of the wrestlers that I've interviewed. Um, people like uh, Lanny Poffo, people like uh, Diamond Dallas Page, and people like Chris Jericho. I generally have not focused on any of the of the time they may have spent as a jobber, and I certainly have not interviewed someone like the Brooklyn Brawler or Dale Wolf, uh, who's primary, uh, who's primarily known just for being a jobber. Uh, but that would be an interesting interview, Pete, and I will work on that. Actually, thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine. Two, 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 answering your questions on any subject. Let me say hello to Roger in Massachusetts. Hello, Roger. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Look, at you know, the guests that you've had earlier this week discussing um, about the whole Russia and Ukraine and NATO, it sounds very, very interesting. And but my question is, um, in light of the fact that how come none of this happened while 
former President Trump was in office? How come nobody was making these moves, North Korea, China, especially Putin and this whole um, uh, going up to the Ukraine border? How come none of it happened uh, while Trump was in office? And um, if Trump were in office now, would he, do you think that he would be um, tend to listen to people that made the arguments that some of your guests are making, like uh, Bibi uh, a couple nights ago about negotiating and and uh, that Putin doesn't want, you know, something uh, yeah. of evil intent. Yeah, uh, and, um, it, it's a good question. Would he blow it? Trump blow it also. And uh, how would he blow it? If he, it's a good question, Roger. Um, let me. So, in terms of why you did see some of this uh, during the Trump regime, uh, you did see uh, some world tensions. But the reason I don't think you saw uh, Russia poised to invade Ukraine or uh, similar incidents is for I think I think multiple reasons. One, I think a lot of world leaders believed that Donald Trump wouldn't think twice about doing something like dropping the mother of all bombs, as he did on Afghanistan, which at the time was still an ally of ours. And uh, I think there was a lot of fear that uh, he would keep his military options ever ready, as he did with the strike on Soleimani, as he did by taking out the ISIS caliphate, as he did with those uh, military strikes in Syria, which I opposed, by the way. And uh, you can go back and listen to the reasons why. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go back and review all that. So I think that uh, that people like Vladimir Putin and uh, and others, other hostile actors, were fearful that Donald Trump could do something along the lines of what he did with Soleimani and others. That's number one. Uh, number two, I think Trump, even though his policies on Russia were pretty tough and were by and large policies that I didn't support. He was he did establish a pretty good personal rapport with Putin, with Xi Jinping, and yes, even with the dictator of North Korea. And I think one of the reasons why uh, Trump was so successful in the foreign policy realm, and don't get me wrong, I think he made a lot of mistakes, uh, including in foreign policy. But one of the reasons that I think that uh, Trump was so successful and had so many key victories whether you talk about the Abraham Accords or or a host of other issues, was because Trump um, didn't know what you're not supposed to do, okay? And uh, these guys like Biden and Tony Blinken, uh, Hillary Clinton, um, they all, Dick Cheney, they all come out of this Washington, D.C. groupthink where there's a standard way of handling foreign policy that that's what you're supposed to do. This is the playbook that you're supposed to read from. Trump didn't read from that playbook. He followed his own instincts, and he did what he thought was right, even if the foreign policy establishment went nuts. Now, you remember, the clearest example of that is the meeting that he had with Kim Jong-un. There is not another president in my lifetime that would have had that meeting with Kim Jong-un under the circumstances in which Trump had it. Because there's all sorts of preconditions that are supposed to take place before you meet with a dictator who's hostile, who's been threatening you on Twitter. Um, Trump just met with him. Now, um, Trump's inexperience in in, uh, foreign policy, I think, actually was a benefit in that respect. Now, 
in terms of how Trump would be handling the Russia-Ukraine situation, it's such a good question. It's such a good question because the first part of the Trump's first term, by and large, he was uh, emulating a lot of the hawkish policies of other presidents in my lifetime. So there's a chance he could have done the same thing. I don't think he would have. I'm of the belief that Trump's second term would have been much better than his first. Uh, Look, I was a Trump supporter from the beginning. I've been a Trump supporter for 20 years, voted for him twice. But one of my biggest disappointments with the Trump administration was that there were no Trump people in it, with the exception of Peter Navarro, with the exception of Jeff Sessions, who had his own issues, uh, with the exception of a couple of other people. By and large, all of Trump's appointments are people that could have easily served in a Hillary Clinton or a Jeb Bush administration. Uh, Gary Cohn. uh, Oh, and, um, you know, people like uh, uh, you go down the list. John Bolton, H.R. McMaster, General Mattis. If you go down the Rex Tillerson, these are all people that uh, uh, could have easily served in a Hillary Clinton or a Jeb Bush administration. So uh, Trump, after impeachment, seemed to really refocus. And after impeachment, he really seemed poised to implement the kind of agenda that he he campaigned on in 2016. It's not to say he didn't have some major victories. He did. So my hope is that you would have seen somebody like Colonel Douglas McGregor as the Secretary of Defense. You would have seen all sorts of other people who have Trump's view of foreign policy and my view of foreign policy on the National Security Council and in other places. Fewer John Boltons, uh, fewer H.R. McMasters, fewer General Mattises, uh, fewer General Kellys, and more people like um, Donald Trump, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Douglas McGregor, the list goes on. But... I think the second term would have been a lot better. But who knows? It's impossible to play what if. By the way, we are going to play a little bit of what if at 2.30. Bryce Zabel is going to be here. Bryce Zabel is an amazing guy, interesting guy. He is a very accomplished television producer, a director, a writer, an author. He's a podcaster. We're going to talk aliens and specifically John Lennon, his experience seeing a UFO. However, he also wrote a book about what would have happened if the Beatles stayed together. So we're going to talk with him about that. We'll play a little what if. But it's impossible to know, right? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Steve is on Long Island. Hello, Steve. Yeah, I have a quick question for you. Um, With the shenanigans and the debacle that went on uh, with Biden's insistence to be out of Afghanistan by uh, 9-11. Um, I, I think his commitment to n- name a replacement for Justice Breyer by the end of February, uh, since he's uh, committed to a black woman, um, I think that his insistence to do it by the end of February is because he wants to do the uh, appointing or the nomination during Black History Month. Do you agree? Uh, it's certainly possible. Yeah, I mean, politicians love optics like that. 
And uh, it's certainly possible. I, I hadn't really thought about it, quite honestly. But uh, February is just a couple of days away. So I think it's it's probably pretty likely. Got an email question here from Eddie. Dear Frank, faithful listener on my radio app of your great show. Question. Rita Cosby always did a handoff segment at the end of her show to Dominic Carter. They certainly enjoyed each other's company. Well, how do you know they enjoyed each other's company? I think it more the it, you you might write it sounded like they enjoyed each other's company. I'm just kidding. They I'm sure they did enjoy each other's company. Uh, they certainly enjoyed each other's company. This stopped abruptly at least two weeks ago. She doesn't even mention Dominic's show that follows. Why did this change? Is there a wait 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 wait? Is there a rift between the two hosts? Dominic still has a handoff segment with you, so what gives? Ed uh, in Fairfax, Virginia. That is actually a great question. Uh, So, Rita's show, I don't know if she's talked about this, but I can't help but tell the truth, so I'll talk about it. Rita's show is now syndicated. I don't know if, um, I don't know how many other markets she's on in. I don't know how many other stations are carrying her show, but she's running a, uh, what they call a network clock she takes hard breaks, as you would with a network, and she's airing, I believe, on multiple stations. But even if she's not airing on multiple stations, her show is being beamed out into a satellite, and there are other stations that are possibly picking it up. So if if there are other stations that are carrying Rita, and I think there are at least a few, then it really doesn't make sense for her to be promoting a show that's coming up on just one station. The reason Dominic and I still do it is because uh, Dom- because Dominic and I are both heard only on this radio station, WABC. If you notice, Dominic did rec- does record a politics commentary that airs in Rita's show now, and I think that's their way of making sure that Dominic's voice is still heard in Rita's show. But yes, it's a good question, Eddie, and that is the answer to it. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Drew is in White Plains. Hey, Drew, I got a question for you. Dominic Carter was asking me about you. Why are you always so polite and nice and gentlemanly with me, and with him, you're out of control and just just a madman? Um, because I feel like he's not as real as you, to be frank about it. Um, you tell the truth and you say, listen, I'm going to be impartial on this topic. I hate how he's impartial and doesn't state the fact that, hey, I'm going to be impartial. Yeah. I respect that. Even 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 when you came out with the Nicole Maliotakis, you said, listen, I know him for 30 years. I'm going to be impartial. I don't think I know too many people who know more about New York politics than Dominic Carter. Exactly. So when I hear him say certain, so when I hear him say certain things, I I gotta say, listen, I know he he knows he knows this is not going to be the truth, but he lets his emotions get in the way, and sometimes I let my emotions get in the way. But well, give him a break. He give him a break. And he, I, 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 okay, I, fair enough. But I just feel like I just want Dominic to be more impartial. Meaning to just tell the truth, like even with this whole Alvin Bragg situation, even with the tough mode crime, if you could see Eric Adams is kind of even walking himself back. He had an interview today where he said um, everybody's attaching on to the fact that he made the comments about bail reform. All right. Well, give me your right? question, Drew, because well, we got a lot of people we have to get to. Give me your question. Okay, all right. I-, I asked you a question last week about the future of New York State. Right. And you made a comment. You made a very good comment. This week, where we're seeing a lot of different things and we're actually seeing the redistricting, do you feel like 
people may be so discouraged if certain things don't work out in their favor next year that New York State might see a mass exodus of the last conservatives or moderates. Because even with Steve Ballone and Tom Swazi, I'm watching them move more towards the right, and they're actually getting isolated by their party. You know, Steve Ballone had um, vetoed a county legislator map, and the county's, um, the Suffolk County Democrats. All right, so the, the, the qu- thank you, Drew. So the question was, do I think more conservatives will move out of the state if there is massive Democratic redistricting, gerrymandering, which there appears it, there will be? Um, I, the answer is, I think, yes. I think, yes. I actually think, even with the gerrymandering, that uh, this is likely to be a pretty good year for Republicans and conservatives and maybe even a few independents. But uh, th- my answer is yes. I, I think if you see uh, Nicole Maliotakis uh, wiped out because of gerrymandering, if you see the uh, the upstate seats, uh, the Claudia Tenney seat, for instance, the Tom Reed seat uh, wiped out due to redistricting, uh, I do, yes, I think you'll see people who are already – demoralized and discouraged, and a lot of times Republicans and conservatives tend to be a little bit higher on the socioeconomic end of things than than liberals and progressives, they have the means to move elsewhere. I think they would. Yes, uh, it's a great question, and uh, I, think they, uh, I think they might, actually. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Neil on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank. Uh, when Governor Hochul uh, took office, you were very euphoric and complimentary looking for a, uh, a good administration. Uh, in light of her refusal to address her own party, at the state legislature on bail reform uh, for the benefit of the people who were being just savaged by criminals. Do you still have that same euphoric uh, feeling towards her? Well, I don't, I, w- I don't think I was euphoric ever. If I was euphoric about anything, it was about Andrew Cuomo leaving, and I stand by that. Andrew Cuomo was, in addition to being a very poor governor— he was a bully. He was a cancer uh, on the state of New York. He was a cancer on Albany. He was a cancer on state government. He was, uh, I-, I think, even if you include Elliot Spitzer, probably the worst governor in my lifetime. And uh, so I would take Kathy Hochul on her worst day over Andrew Cuomo on his best. Absolutely. Uh, I think if if Kathy Hochul wins re-election she's likely to uh, be pretty moderate because most of her career, if you listen to Peter King, who served with her in Congress, if you listen to David Patterson, who worked with her when she was a, a, a you know, a, a, a county official in Erie County, they describe a pretty moderate person. Now, it's possible that she may choose to go full-fledged left wing as Kirsten, uh, as Kirsten Gillibrand did, but I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that, um, I think that somebody that... I think that if she wins re-election, she is going to chart a more moderate course. Now, not as moderate as somebody like Tom Swazi, because Swazi is actually running on a much more moderate platform, uh, but certainly nothing nearly as progressive as Jamani Williams, who's running to her left. So within the Democratic primary, you have Swazi running to her right, uh, Williams running to her left. So uh, have I been disappointed in Hochul? Absolutely. On many, many different issues, COVID policies, gerrymandering, uh, issue after issue. But I think there are some glimmers of hope. I love her proposal for term limits, for instance. 
Uh, I during tw- three terms of Andrew Cuomo, I didn't hear him mention the words term limits once. And the couple of times that Andrew Cuomo did talk about political reform, he totally reneged on what he was pledging to do. He said he was for the Constitutional Convention. He came out against the Constitutional Convention. He appointed a Moreland Commission to root out corruption in state government, and then he disbanded the Moreland Commission after trying to interfere with their work. So uh, I, uh, look, again, I am happy that Andrew Cuomo is no longer governor. Uh, I have my questions about that investigation and how it was handled, but uh, I'm certainly disappointed in Kathy Hochul, but I certainly think that uh, things could be a lot worse. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. One open line. Uh, we'll continue in just a minute. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. W-A-B-C. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It's Friday. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Thank God it's Frank. Coming up at 2.30, we'll talk aliens with Bryce Zabel. We'll talk movies with Debbie Schlussel at 4.30. At 3 o'clock, we got denunciations. And we have a whole lot of other things that I need to comment on between now and the time 5 a.m. rolls around. But this is your time. I am prepared to answer your questions on any subject, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Mike is in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Frank. Frank, morning. when you were a young man, um, were you ever seduced by an older woman, like a divorced friend of your parents or a neighbor uh, or maybe well, a girlfriend's uh, so mom? Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was a younger man, I was with quite a few older women but I think by any objective measure, even though that I was uh, younger, I was probably the one doing the seducing. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to mention any of their names, so preserve their privacy. 800-848-9222. Uh, 800-848-WABC. Paul is in the Bronx. Hello, Paul. Hey, Frank. I usually call on another subject, sure. but I wanted to ask you about MUFON. I had the opportunity about 10 years ago to meet Walter Andrus, and he gave me an interview for about an hour. I've interviewed, I'm a retired NYPD detective. I've interviewed and interrogated thousands of people. He wasn't crazy. He wasn't lying. He wasn't looking for attention. He saw something over the Great Lakes in the late 1940s. And I'm just wondering with uh, your contacts, whether you think they're from other other worlds or they're us in the future? I, I honestly have no idea, Paul. It's a great question, but uh, I can see any number of different uh, scenarios, right? Um, Paul's question is about uh, the group MUFON, which is, the, uh, which is a UFO watching network. We've had some of their representatives on this show. Clearly, there's something out there, right? We don't know what it is. Could be American technology, could be Russian, Chinese, could be uh, 
extraterrestrial, could be time travels, could be other dimensional. I don't know what it is. But the sooner that we acknowledge these objects are out there, the better we will be in a position to understand these kind of things. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. We are doing a good old-fashioned... Never mind. 800-848-9222. Peter is in Staten Island. Hello, Peter. Hey, Frank. I want to ask you, did you ever go out to Mount Erie Lodge in Strasburg, Pennsylvania? No, I was never there uh, either. I know they're a casino now, uh, but I was never there back when in their heyday with the uh, with the with with the Poconos when they had all those uh, activities. And I was never there since they've been a casino. But I will tell you, I really always got a kick out of their television commercials. Uh, so I was always impressed with those commercials, but never enough to actually make a trip down there. Yeah, well, I want to try to beat the storm because they're saying they're not going to get any snow at all there. So oh, really? So you're going down there for the weekend? Well, I, yeah, because I already booked reservations. Because last year, the storm we had, that one storm we had, I was I was stuck in for four days where I live off the of Jersey Street. I live on a hill, and there wasn't even... You know, anything, like the, the plow made it up, but you couldn't even think of moving your car. Yeah, I, I don't blame you for wanting to get out of Dodge, Peter. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Uh, that's uh, 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to uh, John in Las Vegas. Hello, John. Hey, Frank. Hey. I just wanted to see if you'd reach out to Neil Young and see if you can interview him about the controversy. Uh, song. You know, I'll be happy to reach out to him. I, uh, I I don't I don't know that he's given my comments yesterday. I don't know that he's going to be that eager to come on, but he's certainly welcome to. I'd be happy to reach out to him. I'm a big fan of his music, as I said yesterday, even though I, I completely disagree with how he's handling this whole situation with Spotify and Joe Rogan. All right, we have uh, three open lines if you want to jump on board, 800 848 Two-two, along with uh, some questions that are coming in via email. I'm going to get to those as well. Uh, but uh, let me say hello to Stan in Rockland County. Hello, Stan. Yeah, hey, good morning, Frank. Thanks morning. for taking the call. Sure. Uh, since, you know, it's kind of a fun comment since you opened the door on UFOs. I, I got to tell you, you know, beyond going beyond uh, the, the Twilight Zone to serve man, um, you know, as one particular part of that comment, um, I have to say we have got to be the most arrogant and stupid species uh, ever to think that, um, you know, we're actually reaching out to look for civilizations well beyond us in technology if they can actually make the trip from there to us and thinking that we'd be anything other than a mouse in a cage to them uh, in addition to a warehouse. So, so what's your question, free- Stan? Well, it's more of a comment. Okay, that- oh, we want questions this hour. We have uh, four. We have nineteen hours a week where you can make comments, right? So we would like really questions. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Let me say hello to Judy in Rockaway. Hello, Judy. 
Good morning, Frank. Good morning. I have a question for you. I'd like to know what your favorite movie is. Uh, my favorite movie, it alternates, honestly. There, there. It depends on what day you get me, right? Most days of the week, <laughs> I would say it's The Godfather. But there's a few days of the week where it's Citizen Kane. And, um, you know, if I have a, a, a hankering for... You know, for a comedy, then I might say uh, Blazing Saddles or really uh, any of my top Mel Brooks movies, The Producers, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein or Spaceballs. But it would probably today I'm going to say The Godfather, since we're, you know, we're we're poised to close in on the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. All right. I got an email question here from Robert. We all agree. Amy was an outstanding competitor on Jeopardy. But I have a two-part question related to the game show. One, do you think Amy was feeling any pressure, was tired of being in the spotlight, and may have purposely lost? We applaud her going as far as she did. Five tapings a day is tiring, and social media is a major pain. Wife and I don't want to believe that, but dot, dot, dot. I don't. I think she would have loved to have beaten Ken Jennings' record. Now, they these some of these same Jeopardy conspiracy theories were spinning when Ken Jennings streak ended. So I don't think she would have tanked the show intentionally. And you know what? I mean, I know uh, she's already got one point four million dollars. But to the extent that you can add thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, seventy four thousand dollars, as she did one day, to the extent that you can add that much in a given day and not even a day in one taping. I mean, that's a lot of money. Uh, to spend on anything you want, to provide for your family, provide for your friends, to invest for the future, to do other things with. So, no, I absolutely don't think she intentionally lost. Two, we both agree you're pretty knowledgeable about many subjects. Have you ever attempted to apply for the show as a contestant, and would you consider in the future? Seems like it would be fun, and your bubbly, bubbly personality would be a hit. Well, thank you, Robert. I would love to be on Jeopardy. There are some days when I do very well, and some days when I don't get anything. It really, it totally depends on the categories. You know, if there was a, a, a day where one category is the New York Mets, another category is the presidential election of 1912, another category is uh, famous radio personalities, then that's a day that I'm going to do very well. But if it's, um, you know, uh, English literature and, um, you know, Middle Eastern geography and and, uh, mathematical terms, you know, then um, that's a day that I'm not going to do well. I tried to take the online test maybe about 12 years ago, and uh, I don't know how well I did. They don't tell you how well you do. They just tell you if you get picked or not. I didn't get picked. I've always thought, um, you know, the challenge with Jeopardy and a show like Jeopardy is – not just knowing all the responses, but it's getting them so quickly because a lot of times I'll watch the show, and this is with zero pressure, and sitting on my couch, not even standing up. You watch the show, and you know the response, but you can't get it within the allotted time. It's really difficult to come up with that many responses that quickly. I have urged my stepmother to try and go on that show. My stepmother, Elizabeth, she is uh, she has a wide range of knowledge, and whenever she plays Jeopardy, she always gets more responses correct than anybody else uh, that's watching it. 
And I've always asked her, or you know, why don't you try out for the show? And she always says, nah, I don't want to. She says, it's easy to get it while you're home on the couch relaxing. It's much tougher when all the pressure is. And I said, yes, that's true, of course, but you should still try it. But so far, she hasn't. Hasn't listened to me. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Diana in Brooklyn. Hello, Diana. Hi, Frank. How are you? I am doing just fine. I'm so excited to speak to you. Thank you so much. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. you. (laughs) Thank you. I just wanted to know if you were able to figure out what happened to your wife's voicemail. No. You mentioned that she had an issue and you contacted Verizon. Yeah, she contacted Verizon. Uh, we don't know what caused the problem. We just know that uh, her voicemail is, in fact, working again. I got uh, a couple of tweets and a couple of emails, and people can email me at frank.morano at uh, wabcradio.com. But um, people, some other people said it happened to them, but I didn't get... I didn't get any explanation in terms of why it's happening. So I don't know why it happened, but it certainly did. All right. If you're just tuning in, it's Friday. We start the first hour of every Friday show by doing... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. 800-848-9222. Kevin is in Newton, New Jersey. Hello, Kevin. Hey, hi, Frank. I haven't talked to you in a while. It's a pleasure to talk to you as always. Uh, listen, I have a quick Star Trek, the original series, uh, opinion question for you. I'm ready. Uh I would like you to answer this if, but uh, we'll keep it to Kirk and Spock. Who do you find the two most intriguing love interests for each of them were in the series? Oh, um, well, are we including the movies or no? No, not the movies. The original series, okay. not the movies. Uh, well, with Kirk, I I have to think it's um, number one has got to be Edith Keeler. Uh, I don't want to. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I agree. Although I, I have some different opinions because I, I think she's the most important one because it would have changed the history of the world. Well, I, yeah, but also, I mean, to yeah. uh, again, I'm not giving away anything here because this episode yeah. is you know 70 years old. But um, for for somebody to, um, to you know to allow someone that you care for to die to die uh, is has got to be really. Really, very incredibly difficult. I can't imagine. I agree. I, can't I agree. Imagine. That was probably one of the most emotional scenes ever in the series. Probably yeah. when when he when he's all the McCoy back. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, she's yep. got to be number one. There's a lot okay. of people that could be um, number two. I'm gonna say it's. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Maybe, maybe it would be. Um, you know, the, do you remember the episode where he's court-martialed? I think it's called court-martial, and yes, he's prosecuted yes, yeah, by with the law. The law, yes, the yeah, lawyer. The yeah, lawyer yeah. So they had a relationship. Yeah, previously. again, the the relationship is more implied than implicit. Correct. But I would but she say kisses, he kisses him on the bridge at the end. Right. So I would say <laughs> because she was in a position to prosecute him, that that would right. probably be uh, probably be number two in terms That's of interesting. 
Y'all go ahead. But I, I was going to say, I, I actually kind of like Miramani, too, the Indian. The, yeah, the, I, I, I do, Indian, too. You know, but, but, you know, the guy. It was a silly the, episode, but he, it was, he, but it was, it was he lost his mind, right? So, oh, that's true. Yeah, how much right. you, his mind has been erased. You know, so, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know if I should count that one. As far as Spock, um, yes. th- there's. there's Two that come to mind um, right away, okay? One mm-hmm. has got to be the um, – the uh, see, the, I, I'm trying to pick one. I'm not going to pick both of these people. Go it's got to Go be ahead. either Nurse Chapel or Uhura because there's clearly something going on oh, okay. between both of well, them, right? Uh, yeah, well, well, the thing with the, the thing with Uhura was – well, that, that's I – don't, I don't know if it was really – well, that was more – I think that they showed that more in the uh, in the film, the later no, film. No, but, no, uh, no. But if you watch the episode Charlie X, when she's yes. singing to Spock and he smiles at her that's true. Uh, that's at true. a time when he wasn't doing much smiling, there's clearly something uh, going on there. Yeah, that, uh, that, that, that's, that's, that's a pretty good choice. And obviously there, there was always that unrequited love with Nurse Chapel. Yeah, I get and, that. And then, well, uh, so one of those two, either Chapel or Uhura, well, my, and the I'll other one. Give you my opinion, I'll and, give you my opinion real quick. And the, I'm well, sorry. And the, I'll give you my opinion real quick. Go well, ahead. Go ahead. I'm you, sorry. You're saying you're sorry for interrupting, and then you just keep interrupting. Yes. But, but the, the second one that I'll pick is the, the Romulan commander that he, uh, that was, you know. That, that, was, that he, was a good one, yes. That he fools around. Well, give I me like, your I two. Like Jill, I like Jill Ireland uh, in the, in the uh, this side of paradise. Oh, Layla Colomi. Layla Colomi, right? We're, Right when he when he yes when he when he got when he got hit by the spores the spores yes but then, because yeah. at the end of it when he turned back he said for the first time in his life he was happy that's <laughs> yeah really no. emotional yeah that's true what's your other one what's your other one well that that well I, I would no I would I would agree with you too I I would think Nurse Chapel as well okay you know, yeah so, I mean a lot of people might that, pick to bring but I, I would say uh, you're on a better track with Layla Colomi eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 that's one eight hundred Eight four eight W A B C. Mike is in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Hey, all right. You got uh, two choices: superpower, flyer, invisible. What are you going with? Ah, uh, flyer, invisible. I'm going to go. Can I? I'm. Not, am I invisible all the time, or can I uh, no, pick no, and choose invisibility? In okay, then I choose invisibility. Yeah, I think that's the winner. Yeah, I mean, upside to that. You know, you you fly. I I have to think that there would be all sorts of discomfort in terms of air pressure in your ear. Um, I have to think it's pretty cold, uh, you know, flying at great distances. If you really need to go somewhere far, I I mean, you could take an airplane. Uh, With my luck, I'll get shot down by somebody that thinks I'm a drone or, you know, I'll collide with a bird or I'll get bugs in my mouth. I've never really seen the allure of flying. I would rather have... The ability to have laser beams come out my eyes, like Cyclops or or even Superman, I, I could see that being quite convenient in many different areas. Yeah, we're going too far with that. That's too big a stretch. You're right. You're right. So yeah, I would go with you on the invisibility. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Two open lines will continue with uh, Ask Frank anything straight ahead. Talk Radio seventy seven. W A B C. This is The Other Side of Midnight. It's Friday. This is the calm before the storm. 
And uh, it is uh, the first hour of our Friday program in which we uh, answer your questions on any subject. At least I do my best to answer them on any subject. Film, television, books, business, radio, cocktails, advice, my personal history, pro wrestling, gambling, Atlantic City, local politics, restaurants, New York, criminal justice system, aliens, the mob, hypothetical questions, my personal preferences, relationships, baseball. The culture at large, religion, you name it. Now's the time. 800-848-9222. I got an email question here from Mike, who asks uh, of of, uh, President Nixon and Watergate, do you think the congressional Democrats would have forced President Nixon from office if Spiro Agnew had still been his vice president? They may have disliked Nixon, but they despised Agnew. For the most part, they liked Jerry Ford. You know, that's a good question. Um... I'm going to say yes. I think they probably would still have gone forward with the Watergate and the impeachment inquiry and everything like that. Because I think as much as they would have disliked Spiro Agnew, they would have not worried in the least about defeating him come 1976. And he was already very damaged politically by that point anyway. So, yes, I I do think they would have gone forward. And I know that's an unusual opinion and an unconventional opinion. But I think they still would have gone forward with exactly what transpired. Uh, but, uh, again, there's no way to know. Bob is in Rockland County. Hello, Bob. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for taking a call. A radio question. You did a show about a week or so ago with uh, talking about some old radio personalities, uh, Barry Farber and Barry Gray, who were two of my favorites. Another one which I was wondering if you were familiar with was Long John Nebel. Yes, I'm very familiar with uh, with Long John Nebel. I've studied his career a a great deal. I've tried to emulate certain aspects of uh, of Long John Nebel's uh, uh, presentation. I was never uh, a, a listener while he was on to Long John Nebel. I've listened more now to some of the interviews that he's done with people like Jackie Gleason and others. But uh, he was very much a, a pioneer, not only with respect to radio in general and talk radio in general, but um, late night radio. I do, of course, uh, remember his wife, Candy Jones. She had a pretty lucrative uh, radio career of, of her own. And uh, she was, uh, you know, she made some interesting claims about her involvement with the MK Ultra program. So, yeah, I never listened to Long John Nebel when he was on, but I'm very familiar with Long John Nebel and his career. 800-848-9222. Ted is in Clark, New Jersey. Hello, hello, Ted. Hi, Frank. Um, What was your favorite TV miniseries? Oh, let's see. That's a good question. Um. You know, I really enjoyed John Adams with uh, with Paul Giamatti, and uh, I really like that. I'm I'm a I'm a history fan. I'm a Paul Giamatti fan, and I found that it was historically accurate for the most part, but it was still incredibly entertaining. Uh, so I really liked uh, I really liked John Adams. I liked uh, so I might go I might go with that. I think I might go with John Adams. That was a great one. Did you ever see Shogun on NBC? Oh, you know, well, you know, I want to mention one other, even though I'm okay. still sticking with my answer of John Adams. I um, I really enjoyed, even though there were aspects of it that were kind of corny, The People versus O.J. Simpson, the American Crime Story miniseries, and uh, yeah. I, so I thought that was I thought that was very good. 
Shogun, I've actually never seen. I- I'm told that always comes up as some people say it's the best miniseries of all time. I've actually never seen it. It's one of the best, definitely. Yeah, thank you, uh, Ted. A good question. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-WABC. Carol's in New Jersey. Hello, Carol. Hi there, Frank. I actually wanted to speak with you about the Hall of Fame. Sure, what's your question? I that on, but I wound up talking about something else. Okay, what's your question? Yeah, do you believe that um, uh, Bonds and Clemens might get in through the veterans? I do. I do think they will because I can't see their, their fellow players, the players who played with them, during the steroid era, especially some of whom are probably in the Hall of Fame now, even though they took steroids, people like Pudge Rodriguez, I can't see um, the players and the people on the Veterans Committee that are that get to vote being as harsh as the baseball writers of America were. Uh, I, I don't. So I do think they will make it in eventually, uh, just as Gil Hodges did. Uh, hopefully they'll both be alive to see it, although, you know, I have no great interest in them getting in for their own personal ego gratification. I think the same could be said of Kurt Schilling as well. Two open lines if you want to jump on board. 800-848-WABC. Tom is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tom. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. My question is, my parents are, are both Jewish, but I look at myself as an American first and a Jew second. What do you think my... My, what do you think my relationship with Israel should be as an American first and a Jew second when they have a conflict? Well, I would – I'll leave that to you uh, to work out your relationship with Israel or Judaism or any other country. You know, I have never been – I view myself as an American first. I know a lot of people who are of Italian descent, and they refer to themselves as Italian. You will never hear me – Um, call myself Italian because I only view myself as an American. This is the country that I live in. This is the country that I love. This is the country that I would, uh, you know, die defending. And and I think if I were Jewish, even though I realize there's some biblical implications with Israel that are not present with Italy, I would view things the same way. And it's the same reason that I'm not crazy about the idea of dual citizenship Uh, Because I feel like you should have to pick a country. I'm eligible because my grandfather was from Italy, um, or actually had two grandparents from Italy. I'm eligible for dual citizenship, but I've never pursued it because I have an interest in just belonging to one country. But I don't like to tell other people how they should feel about it. I've discussed this with other people, and uh, Dove Hyken, for instance, uh, has said that uh, America and Israel are such close allies that there's really no daylight between the agenda of those two countries, there's no conflict at all in terms of being a um, a citizen of both. Maybe he's right. I'm going to leave that to you to figure out. I don't like to tell anybody how they should view um, their identity, whether it's ethnic, religious, or anything else. I can only tell you how I view it. 800-848-9222. Molly, our producer, had a question. Molly, what was your question? Uh, so I don't have headphones on right now, so you're going to have to... Turn my, I'm going to have to turn my mic off to hear your answer. Sorry. Um, but my question for you is I need to know your opinion on oyster shooters. What is an oyster shooter exactly? That's an oyster it's, with uh, liquor an in oyster it? in a shot glass with uh, some liquor and, you know, some maybe celery salt, maybe a little tomato juice. I don't think I've ever tried one. 
I've seen them with pickle juice. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever tried one. Uh, I would certainly try one. I, I like oysters and I, I like booze, but uh, I don't think I've ever tried one. I would happily try one, but uh, it's I, an I've interesting sensation. It. You might have to try it. Really, I will. I will. Where can I get an oyster shooter? Uh, most raw bar- bars will really? uh, serve okay. them for you. I they don't always put them on the menu because I I think it's 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 quite it's an unappetizing description. Yeah, well, I'll I, give it that. I would definitely try it. Thank you, uh, Molly. It's an excellent question. You never have to apologize for turning your microphone off. 800-848-9222. Hey, Tom emails me. He emailed me yesterday about when he used to go to Atlantic City, and he said he used to take the money that they would give you when you take the bus down there and then not gamble. And I responded that your way of doing it, taking the money that they give you to take the bus down there and then not playing, was really the only way to finish ahead. And then uh, he said, I was surprised by you that you sounded down on gambling. And he said, if you know that the only way to finish ahead is not to play, why do you love gambling? Uh, well, I don't think that's the only way to finish ahead, but it is certainly the safest way. Look, the longer you gamble, the more you play, the house always wins. The house always wins. That's the nature of the beast, right? But um, I never will. It's why I don't do online gambling or things like like that, the online sports betting that's legal now. Uh, I don't bring any more money to gamble with than I am prepared to lose, right? So I I often win. Last year, I won a lot of money. I mean, a lot for me. It's not a lot for a big fish. But uh, so it is possible to win. But I bring only enough money that I'm prepared to lose and money that, um, you know, that that I'm not going to miss, basically. I mean, you miss anything you lose, but I'm not going to be crying if I lose this amount of money or or that amount of money. All right. We will, um, you know, squeeze in one more and then we will allow Matt and Molly to pick who is the recipient of our best question. Leo is in Manhattan. Hello, Leo. Uh, How are you doing? Well, I have a question. Uh, if you would have uh, some problems with your voice box and, we, and you would have like half year where you would not be able to work actually from home or from studio, which four uh, of broadcasters of your colleagues actually from the station you would be listening, considering that you would be able to reshuffle the timings, you would be able to, you know, Oh, so people, people, what, so Leo, I want to, we only have about 40 seconds left, so I want to understand the question. Which four hosts on this station would I listen to? Which, which four broadcasters, which are of your on, on, on the, this station? On this station. Okay, so I would listen to Curtis. I would listen to Bernie and Sid. I would listen to uh, Dominic Carter. And I would listen to Cousin Brucey. Uh, those are my, those are the four that I would uh, that I would listen to. Uh, all right, winner of the best question, Matt and Molly. Who do we have? The winner is Mike, who asked you if you have ever been seduced by, by an older woman. All right, Mike in New Jersey, call back for your prize. Give Molly your information. Coming up, we uh, there are a whole bunch of monuments to Nazis. Time to take them down. You tell me. Until then, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
Good morrow, everyone. Sorry, I was uh, waiting for the coffee to heat up in the K-Cup thing. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. One quick addendum to that last question. I was just thinking about the four radio personalities that I would still listen to if I could only choose four. I would, of course, still listen to John Katsimatidis, and I'm genuinely not saying that only because he owns the station. That is the one show that I make sure I listen to in its entirety each and every day. I was listening last night. There was a great interview with Andrew Giuliani as well as a host of others because I like the the mixing and matching they do of different personalities on that show. And it's also the show that makes news. I don't always think to mention, John, because I co-host the half hour of the Cats Roundtable on Sunday morning. So I almost think of myself as a participant in that show. So I, that's why I didn't immediately uh, have John spring to mind when uh, when it came to that uh, that question. But honestly, we have such a great lineup. I would I would realistically still listen to everybody. But the four the four plus John that I mentioned are the ones that I would listen to most often. Uh, now, it's interesting. I said this yesterday when we talk about cancel culture. Everybody's against cancel culture. Everybody, until there's something that they want canceled. And this always happens. In the case, yesterday was the caller, Drew, that brought up um, Joe Rogan, said, I'm against cancel culture, but Joe Rogan can't be on there telling people to uh, kill themselves, you know, with, uh, with inaccurate medical advice. Well, there was a fascinating, fascinating piece of journalism in the Jewish newspaper, The Forward, and I'm going to uh, link to it right now at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. That's Facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O-Fan. The, the Forward, in this great article by Lev Galinkin, did this incredible investigation, and they found that there are some 1,500 statues and streets right now in the world honoring Nazis, including in Germany and the United States. Now, I had no idea that there were still this many monuments, streets honoring Nazis. I knew there were some. You know, we have some here in New York. But I had no idea that this was the case. So I'm going to tell you some more about this. But I would like to know, especially those of you, my fellow brethren, that are opposed to so-called cancel culture, uh, my brethren that don't like taking down statues of Columbus, my brethren that don't like ripping down statues of Confederate war heroes or Confederate people like Jefferson Davis, I'm talking to you guys, okay? People that opposed taking down statues. People that didn't want, not that Theodore Roosevelt is anywhere near being in the same category as the Nazis, but people that opposed, like I did, taking down Theodore Roosevelt's statue outside the the Museum of Natural History. I want to hear from you. What do you think should be done with these 1,500 statues and streets around the world honoring Nazis. 
1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Now, Germany has long been seen as the model, the international model for appropriately dealing with their Holocaust history. And remember, there was the Star Trek episode, I believe it was called Patterns of Force, where there's swastikas and they go to a planet that's just like Earth, except it's run by the Nazis and everybody's a Nazi and everything. They would not show that program in Germany until recently because of the Nazi aspect of it. Germany, though, with all its issues, currently has at least 162 streets and schools named for Nazis and their collaborators, according to this investigation by the forward. These public honorings of people who committed horrific atrocities during World War II persist despite Germany's strict laws against displaying Nazi flags or other symbols. And even though many of its major cities have over the past two decades commissioned reports aimed at rooting out inappropriate honorings of Nazi party members and others with racist or anti-Semitic pasts, most are actually in former West Germany. Isn't that interesting? You probably think it might have been in East Germany because the totalitarianism of communism versus the totalitarianism of national socialism. But no, the communists came in. They got rid of all the Nazi, anything named for Nazis. The communists wanted no part of it. Communists have no problem ripping down statues. I'll tell you, when I was in Italy, there was monuments to everybody, statues to everybody, fascists, uh, Romans, you name it. All sorts of controversial people, they all have statues and monuments for them in, uh, in Italy. This came up about four years ago in New York City because New York City has something called the Canyon of Heroes. And the Canyon of Heroes is um, a, a, you know on Broadway, low, downtown Broadway. And it, they have little plaques honoring everybody that has ever had a ticker tape parade in New York. And one of the people that had a ticker tape parade was Philippe Patain. And Philippe Patain was a hero, a French hero in World War One, And he was the Marshal of France, and they had a big old parade for him in 1932. Then, lo and behold, he was he became a Nazi collaborator uh, during World War II. So he was a hero to the French people during World War I, and then he worked with the Nazis in World War II, and there was a big push to take his plaque down. I believe that plaque is still up, or although it might have gotten taken down. I will, I will uh, examine that. But no, I, I, I think um, I think because they, they just put it up in 2002, actually. And uh, I'm surprised there wasn't more of a controversy at the time. But I said at the time that I thought it was a good thing that they kept that plaque up. Because I don't think you should be rewriting history. And I don't think you should be like the Soviet Politburo used to do when people fall out of favor, whiting them out. I think you should use history as an opportunity to learn from it. However, I am looking at this, and I had no idea of the sheer breadth of statues and monuments and streets that still were honoring Nazis. 
And I'm starting to rethink my position. And I'm curious what you think, because there was an earlier article that the forward did, and it's led to some changes. Local officials in one Belgian town voted in December to remove a a memorial that they had there. And uh, their investigation, the forward's uh, investigation, has prompted discussions of the issue in places like Wisconsin, places like Azerbaijan. In, In this town in Belgium, as I mentioned, they decided to remove from their town square a 2018 sculpture, very recent sculpture, honoring Latvian collaborators with the Nazis, despite vociferous defense of the monument from Latvia's foreign minister and undersecretary of, of uh, state. That's why I think almost you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. Tell me what you think. There's at least, for example, seven public and private institutions, uh, a graduate institute in one university, a college in another, a performance hall, a nursing home, a hospital, a street, and a school, all have been named for Alfred Krupp, the industrialist who was found guilty of war crimes in 1948. Now, Krupp was convicted of using forced labor from prisoners of war and concentration camp inmates, working more than 30,000 of them to death. Now, the sheer magnitude of his atrocities required a separate tribunal at Nuremberg. He was released from prison in 1952. After his death in 1967, the foundation that he had established began funneling money into charitable causes and public works, focusing on science, focusing on education. In 2001, for example, the foundation gave 10 million Deutschmarks, which is about $7.6 million, to what's now Jacobs University Bremen, to build its first residential college. And this is only 20 years ago. They named it for Krupp. So does the fact that Krupp was a Nazi, the fact that he committed these atrocities, and he went to prison for him, he paid the piper, and then he spent the rest of his life trying to, found, uh, trying to start a foundation to do good things, does that make it any easier to swallow If you're the family member of a Holocaust victim, if you're going to this college and you're Jewish, how do you feel about something being named for Alfred Krupp? And he's not the only one. He is not the only one. There are things named for Nazis. There are monuments, statues, and streets named for Nazis all over the place. And you can read the full magnitude of them in this forward piece that I just linked to, 800-848-9222. What do you think? Whether it's something that's named for someone, whether it's a plaque like Philippe Patain had in New York, whether it's, uh, you know, this Latvian sculpture in Belgium, what would you do? Uh, Let me just tell you a couple of the other ones in the United States, because that's the country I think most of our listeners are familiar with, even though we're doing... Big, big ratings in, um, you know, in England these days. So I mentioned Philippe Patain. The U.S. also has 11 streets named after Philippe Patain in Alabama, in Colorado, in Louisiana, in New Hampshire, in New Jersey, in Ohio, in Pennsylvania, uh, in Texas. So Philippe Patain 
is not a hard guy to find. We have listeners in all those places. Now, Patain's case is unique, as I mentioned, because his honors were all bestowed upon him when he was a World War I hero before he served the Nazis. That puts him in a little bit of a different category than somebody like Alfred Krupp. But what do you think? What should be done? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Bob in Long Beach. Hello, Bob. Hi. How are you doing? Uh, look, Frank, uh, remember, you should put it up to a referendum. You know why? Because then you can tell if they're really Nazis still. If who's really Nazis? Germany put it up for referendum. Well, what about what about the streets here in here in America, for instance? Put it up for referendum. Okay, all right. Well, look, I'm a direct democracy guy. My um, to Bob's point, my solution to almost everything is direct democracy. And you know, the people that don't like direct democracy, they all say, "Oh no, that's mob rule." Uh, I said, "Okay, all right." They said, no, that's the tyranny of the majority. All right, well, what's better than the tyranny of the majority? Tyranny of the minority? I'll take the tyranny of the majority. And uh, people say, oh, people are too dumb to make these decisions. Well, look, my thinking is, my hope, and who knows if we'll ever get there, but my hope is if you gave more people say uh, and more people influence over their own affairs, they'd actually make an effort to learn something about the items they were voting on. Now, maybe I'm just naive. But, uh, look, I don't think a referendum is the worst idea in the world. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. But it's not just Philippe Patain. There are monuments to Russian collaborators. There are monuments to Lithuanian collaborators. There are monuments to Serbian collaborators. This is all in the United States, by the way. Uh, There are monuments to Ukrainian collaborators in Ellenville, New York. There is, and some of you have probably been there, there is an elaborate heroes uh, monument that features busts of Nazi collaborators Stepan Bandera and Roman Shekayevich. And Bandera led a faction of the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, which allied itself with the Nazis, while Shekayevich was a leader in a Third Reich Auxiliary Police Battalion as well as a commander of the Ukrainian insurgent army, which massacred thousands of Jews and 70,000 to 100,000 Poles. So this monument in Ellenville, New York, was erected in 1962 by Ukrainian war veterans who, like thousands of other Holocaust perpetrators, were freely admitted to the United States. So... I don't know. I have a tough time wrestling with all this. What do you think? Let's start with the United States. Should we just rename all these streets? Should we take down that monument that's downtown? Should we say let's be done with Nazis? Or is there a historical value to keeping these monuments, to keeping these statues? What do you think? 800-848-9222. My thinking is, well, I want to hear more from you. And then I'll give you I'll give you my take. 800-848-WABC. Brian is in Colorado. Hello, Brian. Hi, Frank. Uh, great to hear your voice again. Um, Thanks. I, I think we have a mug as the uh, grandson of a Holocaust survivor. 
who lost nine of his ten siblings and both his parents in the camp. You lost nine out of your ten siblings, or your grandfather did? My my grandfather lost nine of his siblings and both his parents. And uh, I think we have uh, much bigger, more substantive issues that we should be focusing on. And another example that I, I know you left out, Warner Von Braun, of course, is the father of the American space program and probably yep. the man most responsible for the moon landing. And I think he's a hero, despite the fact that he was responsible for the deaths of at least 10,000 slave laborers, Jews from the camps who died uh, while he was a Nazi in Germany. And despite those war crimes, what he did later in life here in America mm. I think is worthy of statues and streets named after him. You know, Brian, first of all, I'm sorry for your family's loss during the Holocaust. What a thoughtful call and what an interesting response. Now, my my take whenever I hear from people that say, oh, let's take down Columbus. Let's change the name of Woodrow Wilson. uh, You know, everything that's named for Woodrow Wilson, which they just did again in New Jersey. They just trained Woodrow Wilson High School. My response is almost always what Brian said, which is, don't we have greater things to worry about? But Brian's other point is so interesting, which is that it is possible to recognize that someone, yes, was a Nazi collaborator, but also was a hero for other reasons. Philippe Patain, for instance, uh, or, uh, you know, the, the space program there. That's certainly, it's an excellent point. But I'd love to hear from you. For my brethren that don't like cancel culture, that don't like taking down statues of Roosevelt, Columbus, Lincoln, whomever, how do you feel about the fact that there are 1,500 things, statues, monuments, streets, institutions, named for Nazis around the world, including in the United States? Uh, And it's not just the United States. Uh, Germany, Belgium, all around the world, their stuff named for Nazis, Estonia, Hungary, Canada, Croatia, India, Italy, Latvia, Lithuania, Australia, Armenia, Austria. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. Eric is in Manhattan. Hello, Eric. Hey, Frank. How's it going? Um, I mean, I, I think it's a little bit unseemly to have that stuff still sitting around when, you, when you're getting rid of stuff like Washington and Lincoln. You know, I mean, yeah, at best you could say, you know, it's there to teach a lesson. Listen to history, but I, you know, it's kind of it's 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 a little unseemly. You know what I mean? I mean, you could get Antifa and BLM to take this stuff down for free. You get them, with stuff <laughs> about it and you don't pay them. You know, they just take it down and be happy for a day. You know what I mean? They give them something else to break. But I don't know. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I understand, but unless you're gonna just put the with whatever little they good they did to some some local town somewhere, who knows? See, if you even say they did something good, you're gonna get you're gonna get crucified. You're gonna get lynched. You know. Um, so it's like, how do you, how do you even do that? I mean, but you have to leave with the good stuff, but I don't know how, how I, I'll, I'll let you go. But like, how do you, how do you, how would you even try to say, Oh, I'll just leave it alone. You know, but my part, my question is how do they, how do they not know it's there in the first place? Antifa? Well, again, and some have been, care. It's just, they want to erase everything. And some you know? have been put up more recently. Right. I mean, and, and you know, this charitable foundation named for Alfred Krupp, they're giving money still to this day. They want things named for Krupp. I think they view that as his best method for reforming his legacy. 800-848-9222. PJ is in Queens. Hello. Hey, Frank. Great topic. We're we're like uh, cancel culture buddies, me and you. 
<clears throat> I, I got to tell you, uh, you know, there's a stark difference between uh, Nazi war criminals who were convicted and despised and scowled at through history uh, and, and, and people who were controversial figures that had different uh, points of view and often uh, ugly parts of their past is a very big difference. So I think that difference has to be made. I also believe it's up to the states and the municipalities that have these places, that have these statues in place. They should decide what happens. I personally think statues uh, such that glorify Nazis or signs or any of that stuff, that should be put in a museum because that's, that is an actual, uh, a very important part of how uh, the forces, how Nazism rose. It was a, a, a blind nationalism, and they, you know, the, the, even in their cinema, uh, Lenny Reifenstahl uh, made all these uh, films that glorified, uh, you know, this pure Aryan race and such. But I think we can't, you know, we can't go over, we can very easily go overboard, and everyone, all of a sudden, we cancel everyone. Wilson gets canceled, Charles Lindbergh gets canceled, everybody gets canceled. And and that the difference is is that and we should always keep this in mind is that there are people who are evil that don't shouldn't be should you shouldn't have to look at these people, uh, right right but you 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 know but you should be able to have a discussion and say you know when you when you walk in your little little guy five ten years from now and he points to a statue says who's that guy daddy and say is he a nice man or is he a bad man you'll be able to look at him and say well son he's a mix of both. Well, it's a good point, PJ. And again, history is filled with gray areas and characters that walk that gray area. Nanuet, New York, for instance, I like what, you know, of course, what PJ said is correct in that it is up to the municipality, right? So let's look at Nanuet, New York. We have a lot of listeners in Nanuet. There is a monument to Andrei Vlasov and the Russian Liberation Army at the Novo Dievo Russian Orthodox Convent. Vlasov was a Red Army general who defected to the Nazis and then formed the Russian Liberation Army. Um, Vlaslav, and in the monument, you could see, I'm looking at the picture, and it's in all this article that I posted, facebook.com slash Fan. Vlaslav shakes hands with Himmler, uh, head of the SS and one of the principal architects of the Holocaust, on the cover of the Nazi Army's Signal magazine. So his army had numerous white Russian emigres. The white Russians were the ones that were loyal to the czars, and the czar, and were anti-communist. And the graves of many prominent white Russians in the convent cemetery make it likely that it was those emigres who erected this monument to Vaslav. Now, I don't know how old it is. It doesn't say in the article. But they're still building monuments to Vaslav. It, Prague announced just two years ago they're going to build a monument to this particular general. So we are still right now building monuments to Nazis and Nazi collaborators. I think my position is this, and uh, on this is actually somewhat similar to George H. W. Bush. You remember George H. W. Bush? If you had to pick three words that he's famous for, what would they be? Read my lips. No new taxes. So uh, he said that, of course, before going on to pass what was at the time the largest tax increase in American history. But um, I think my position is no new Nazis, right? 
No new Nazi monuments. No new streets named for Nazis. As great as the Alfred Krupp Foundation might be, as much as the white Russians look at at Vaslav as a, a hero, I say, at least in the United States especially, let's leave whatever's up, up. And then whether it's the private sector, the public sector, the nonprofit sector, educational institutions, media institutions, let's leave whatever's up, up, and then just not build any new monuments to Nazis. I think, look, I know I'm always accused of equivocating and trying to find a middle ground, guilty as charged. I happen to think that that's a pretty sensible approach. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Michael is in New Jersey. Hello, Michael. Yeah, I have a very simple rule. Anyone who is a traitor that caused the death of Americans or American allies, the hell with them. Take down the statue, take down the monument. For example, that, that German guy that helped, they say, America build rockets. Those rockets landed on London. How many British people did they kill? Jefferson Davis and Robert E. Lee put on gray uniforms and fought against America. They were traitors. I'm not saying take down their monuments because they were slave owners, because slavery was legal. But they were traitors. They put on opposing uniforms and killed Americans wearing blue uniforms. Anyone who was a traitor that caused the death, it doesn't matter what people, if they were Jewish, if they were Christian, whatever, okay? This guy that that formed this, this thing that, that helped kill people, they, they killed Jehovah's Witnesses, they killed Gypsies. Anyone who did something like that, screw them. Take down their statue, take down their monument. Now, if they didn't kill anybody, it was just a thought, well, then you can leave it because they didn't take physical um, part of of killing people. Okay, Michael, there you have the Michael rule. No blood, no takedown. You kill people, you get your street renamed. You get your monument taken down. Well, someone who uh, I don't think has killed anyone is Bryce Zabel. We're going to talk to him next. I can't wait to talk with Bryce Zabel. He has challenged Neil deGrasse Tyson to a debate on the subject of UFOs. I am going to volunteer to host that debate. And uh, we're going to talk to him about a bunch of things. He is a fascinating person, television producer, director, writer, author, podcaster, and uh, somebody that I am very much Looking forward to talking to in just a minute. But in the meantime, if you are looking to preserve your wealth, if you are looking to ensure your own long-term financial security, then you really need to think about gold. Look at what's happening with inflation. Inflation rose by almost 7% in just a month towards the end of the year. That means in 30 days, your dollar became 93 cents while you were holding it. This year, the stock market has been plummeting. And your portfolio might be in trouble. Inflation is a silent killer. It's a hidden tax paid by everybody. Almost everybody. Not the people that are invested in gold. If you're invested in gold, silver, or precious metals, those are all hedges against inflation. Those are all methods that you can use to make sure that you don't see your wealth erased by the secret tax of inflation. Legacy precious metals are the the inflation specialists. 
Legacy Precious Metals give you all sorts of advice on how to invest in gold. A lot of people say, okay, I get that gold is a good investment, but how do I invest? Well, they can talk to you about rolling your existing retirement account into a gold IRA, or they can talk to you about just holding physical metals directly in your home. A lot might depend on your age. A lot might depend on if you're retired already or if you're looking to retire. So you can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at, write this number down, please, 866-932-0635. That's 866-932-0635. You can also download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. Bryce Sable, straight ahead. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. The Other Side of Midnight presents The Midnight Files. Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. I have been incredibly eager to talk with Bryce Zabel, who I've been a fan of for many years. He's a television producer, a director, a writer, an author. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, the the work that he's doing now as the co-host of the Need to Know podcast is some of the finest work he's ever done. If you, the name Bryce Zabel, Zabel is not familiar to you, his work certainly is. He's been a winner of the Writers Guild Award for screenwriting. He's created and produced five primetime TV series. Uh, fan favorites like uh, the Dark Skies on NBC, the TV adaptation of The Crow. He's worked on a lot of other TV shows that have been very, very critically acclaimed and uh, popularly enjoyed. Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman. He's a miniseries writer and, uh, and a novelist. He really has worn many hats and happens to have been the first writer since Rod Serling ever elected to serve as the chairman of the Academy of Television, Arts, and Sciences. Also, uh, just an incredibly, incredibly bright guy and a talented guy. Bryce Zabel, it is great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining me. It's it's great to be on with you, and uh, I, it's great to be up in the middle of the night. Happy to be there. Wonderful. Hey, uh, anybody that thinks that we pre-record interviews, you can attest that that's not the case. Uh, no, you know the the biggest part of this is is you got to get caffeinated to be up, and and then you got to be uh, then you got to go to bed afterwards. That's exactly. It, it is it is a challenge. Believe me, I get it. Now, I mentioned that you were the uh, the chairman and CEO of the right. the the Television Academy. You were the uh, chairman of the Television Academy. In the aftermath of September 11th. Now, take us through that. What is it like to 
deal with a, a an, an industry, television, which played such a pivotal role in helping people understand those attacks? And then how do you deal with something as complicated as when to schedule awards shows oh. in the aftermath well, of September have- 11th? You know, Frank, you you make a great uh, point there because nobody had actually done anything like that before. When when 9-11 hit, I had just been elected uh, the chairman of the Television Academy. And and for most people, it's a pretty good gig. You get uh, two years where you speak on the Emmys and you you have a pretty good time. You meet a lot of people. You go to parties. But this happened. uh, 9-11 happened five days before the Emmys were scheduled to be on. and, And we knew right away. Nobody wanted to go walk a red carpet after 9-11, so we immediately canceled them. And just to make the, the long part of it very short, we rescheduled for October 7th, and on the morning of October 7th, it turned out that we invaded Afghanistan. Mm. So we had to uh, cancel them a second time, and on the third time, uh, which was the charm, we did them on November uh, 7th of that year, and that was up against the last game of the World Series. Um, so it was quite a dramatic time, but I think the, the point you make is really good. Uh, people in Hollywood, um, you know, they're, they're like everyone else, like all other Americans, they run the, the gamut of the political spectrum. But I think it was important at that time for Hollywood to assure the, the country and the world that we got it. And, uh, and trying to figure out the tone of how to actually have an award show in the uh, shadow of 9-11 was very difficult. It was a daily assessment of, of what was going on. Now, you are, are a very experienced writer and have done a lot of writing for television. We are seeing um, a, kind of an interesting situation now in terms of coming out of a tough time. 2020, obviously a very difficult year because of the pandemic. We saw last year, 2021, have a new record high number of scripted original television series after it dipped in 2020 because of the pandemic. What do you attribute that to, this record number of new original scripted shows? Is this a function of viewers looking for an escape? Is it a function of uh, it being easier to create television these days? Is it a function of 9,000 different streaming networks, or is it something else entirely? Well, we certainly are entering a period of peak television. There's no question about it. There, I watch a lot of television because I feel like it's my job to be up to speed on it, but I can't watch enough to actually know really what's going on. There's just more than, uh, than anyone can watch. <clears throat> and the reason it's happening, I think, is that uh, television is where the action is. It used to be that people wanted to be in, in features, but uh, now the, the real action, the great storytelling, the long arcs, the, uh, the interesting characters tend to be on television. And what tends to be on features is the big uh, blockbuster kind of things. So um, the, I guess the answer to your question is uh, money chases uh, these things. And since that's where people are parking their, their eyes these days, money is going to flow into making more television. And it's very true that what the the uh, the pandemic has done and is continuing to do is make people find more things that they can watch at home and enjoy. And uh, there, I don't think that's ever going to be put back in the box. I think people have learned how to enjoy television more than ever in our history. 
And uh, I, the way I would put it is, is this, Frank. Uh, there's so much television going on right now that uh, you, you can always find something that you like, whereas uh, in, the, in the old world that we grew up in, it was least objectionable programming. Sure. You know, it, when there's only th- three or four networks, you literally watch the program that sucks the least. <laughs> but in, in today's environment, you watch exactly what you want to watch and usually when you want to watch it. We've seen a similar explosion when it comes to options for podcasts, and you are a part of uh, of that revolution as well. You're the co-host of this Need to Know podcast. Tell me about this. What's this Need to Know podcast, and tell me about your transition from writing, which I know you're still doing, to the world of podcasting. What made you want to launch this Need to Know podcast? Well, it's very interesting. I do. I try to do a lot of everything. I do. I'm still an active screenwriter and a, and a producer, but. I've become kind of a subject matter expert in the world of UFOs over over the years just by studying and and trying to to write good material. And so the Need to Know podcast is literally uh, about the the UAP issue, uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. And and uh, you could probably you could probably imagine the world doesn't need another UFO podcast. I get it. Uh, but uh, my partner in this uh, investigative reporter Ross Coltart out of uh, Australia he and I decided that while the world may not need another podcast about UFOs, we felt that it needed one about UAP that treated the subject seriously. Uh, I'm a former investigative reporter myself, and so Ross and I have decided to, that this issue is so important and it's happening so quickly and it's literally a story breaking before our very eyes that uh, what the world actually does need is more people who are talking about it in a serious and reasonable way and and trying to communicate to people literally what's going on because the truth is uh, we are getting very very close to the time when the world is going to accept that we're not alone and it's going to change the world we live in Uh, so one of the interesting things that you've been writing about has been a debate challenge to a very, very famous scientist, probably sure. the most popular uh, media scientist in America, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Now, this is Neil deGrasse Tyson on The View not long ago talking about UFOs and these videos of UAPs, excuse me, that's been uh, qualified as authentic by the Pentagon. In science, however, you, want, you look at, you, you rank possibilities by likelihood, okay? These Navy videos, you have to ask, if they are aliens visiting, why are they only visiting Navy pilots? How about the rest of Earth's surface? There are three billion smartphones on this planet. Each one is a high-resolution color camera and video recorder. So basically, <laughs> aliens' invasions have been crowdsourced to the population of the planet. If anybody's any alien is landing anywhere, it's going to look what else we have already streamed that used to be rare, but we knew was happening. All right. Like police violence and all of this. If aliens landed, you know, we would have it. It would be viral overnight. Now, what do you say to uh, what Neil mm-hmm. deGrasse Tyson says there? And then tell me what's prompted your debate challenge mm-hmm. to him. OK, well, first of all, just listening to that uh, man talk about it, there, it explains why to me why I, I want to debate him. Uh, I don't know that it's a serious pro- proposal. I don't know that Neil deGrasse Tyson will deign to go talk to me about this subject for a couple of hours, but it would be nice. I think what he illustrated, though, 
in uh, his his answer there is that everything for him when you bring up this topic is about sound bites and punchlines, and he sets up straw men that he knocks down. This whole bit about aliens and uh, why are they only revealing themselves to uh, uh, Navy pilots? Okay, let's take that apart. The government. The government itself, the Senate Intelligence Committee, demanded a report on UAP be delivered by June 25th of last year, and it was. And that report by the U.S. government uh, interviewing all these Navy pilots and people who have seen unexplainable things said that UAP are real. They're physically real. They do things that we can't do. They said the report said that we don't make them, and it said that it was unlikely that Russia or China made them either. So what the report is saying and what I'm saying is uh, he shouldn't jump to the alien card. I'm not jumping there. I'm saying we don't know who makes these things, but they are physically real. And for the first time in the 75 years since the government has been talking about first flying saucers, then UFOs, and now UAP, uh, we have their confirmation that it's real. So I would look to get in a – look, I, I did this more to make a point to write an essay. I would dearly love to go talk to uh, Mr. Tyson about all this. And the truth is I've met him several times as the chairman of the academy. I met him at a couple of Emmy shows. He was very kind to my children. He's a very bright man. He's gregarious. He's charming in his own way. But I think he's just plain wrong on this issue. And I think that we could shed a lot of light by getting together and talking it over. So that, so I just said, you know what, um, I'll challenge him to a debate. What's, what, what harm could come from that? Maybe he'll even say yes. You um, have done a podcast focusing on what we're seeing on the UAP issue out of Washington, D.C. This does seem like this is one of the few issues in which there's genuinely bipartisan cooperation. We've seen Democrats like Mark Warner, Christian Gillibrand, uh, partner with Republicans like Marco Rubio and others uh, in order to change the the UAP reporting process and in general to take UAPs more seriously. Why do you think all of a sudden we're seeing politicians take this seriously? Well, I think that uh, one of the answers is uh, you and I have seen those three Navy videos, but they were the low resolution uh, short versions. I think politicians who work on the Senate Intelligence Committee and the House Intelligence Committee have seen the, some of the good stuff. They've seen uh, some of those longer videos, the HD versions, and I think that they got their hair set on fire by it. And it, it struck them as a national security issue, because one of the things that has been uh, true about the whole UFO and UAP issue over these years is that they show uh, a, a, a real interest in what we do with our nuclear assets. Uh, let's face it, those those were naval uh, military carriers out there. Uh, nuclear weapons are part and parcel of all that. So um, I think I think uh, you're right that it turned into a bipartisan issue, and the reason for it is that it can be now looked at as a national security issue. And uh, boy, it is bipartisan. You think about it. Senator uh, uh, Gillibrand is a Democrat from your state, New York, and uh, of course, Marco Rubio, who is the co-sponsor of the amendment uh, that Gillibrand uh, sponsored, uh, is a, a Republican senator from Florida. And the other thing I'd say, Frank, by the way, is Let's just ask ourselves who those two people are. Well, they both ran for president, right? Gillibrand ran in 20 and Rubio ran in 16. Now, you, if you're an ambitious politician, you run for president, you must do things that you think will not kill your chances at electoral victory, which means to me that Gillibrand and Rubio, smart politicians that they are, 
actually don't think talking out loud about the quiet part of UFOs is going to hurt their careers. So that alone tells you something. The media coverage of Harry Reid's passing did not include much of a mention of his work, both in the Senate and his work since leaving the Senate, to further the cause of UFO disclosure and, in general, UFO exploration. How come? Why do you think that was the one thing that they left out of all his tributes at his funeral, the media coverage of his funeral, all the obituaries? It's a little galling, and it still ticks me off. But let's just uh, back up for a second so that everyone knows why we're talking about Harry Reid. He was the Senate Majority Leader, very important guy, uh, worked on the intelligence committees, uh, was in uh, Congress for some 30 years, major guy. And one of the things he did in the early 2000s is he made sure that $22 million got set aside to study UFOs because he saw it as a national security issue. And frankly, after he left the Senate, uh, he spent the last years of his life thinking about the UAP issue, talking openly about it. Uh, he felt that the uh, the government had not been straightforward with the American people about the issue, and he felt that they should know more about it. So to catch up with your question, what is very irritating is that when Reed passed away, uh, I looked at all and read uh, all the mainstream media uh, coverage, uh, the, the obituaries, and with only, I think, a couple of exceptions – None of them mentioned the UAP issue that he was so passionate about. Oh, they talked about how he was a boxer when he was a kid and grew up in a poor family. And they talked about those kind of things. And they talked about, you know, his work in Washington, all of which was fine. And they all ignored it. So the question you raise is, why do they ignore it? And that is a tougher question, to be honest with you, because uh, it seems to me that the last people who are coming to the party uh, to try to really explain this uh, complex mystifying issue uh, are the people, the reporters in the media. There are some that are starting to wake up to it, but the assignment desks at the uh, nation's um, uh, newspapers and, and television stations and networks don't seem to have quite caught up. And, and, and frankly, I'd say in the next couple of years, you're going to see more and more of them catching up, but it was certainly a depressing thing to see that they, they let this part of, uh, of Reed go uh, silently. And I would just ask you this. Think about it. If you're a journalist and an important person dies and he has spent uh, the last years of his life thinking about a particular issue, why would that not be a part of his obituary? Mm. Absolutely. I just don't understand. Yeah. No, neither did I. I mean, uh, I covered that a great deal when he passed away. But you're right. It was completely absent from the New York Times obituary, from the wall-to-wall coverage on uh, the cable news networks and elsewhere. All right. You are something of an expert and an aficionado when it comes to the Beatles. Something that our listeners uh-huh. may not know is that August of 1974, John Lennon had a UFO sighting. Tell us about it. You've written a three-part series about it. Give us the Reader's Digest version. Yeah, listen, um, I I just thought it was fascinating. John Lennon, if you think about it, uh, talked about uh, UFOs uh, multiple times in his Walls and Bridges album. He he wrote about it on the liner notes. Uh, he, uh, he wrote a song, Out, Out the Blue, that mentioned UFOs. And even in 1980, right before he died, he recorded a song, uh, Nobody Knows, uh, excuse me, um, um, Nobody Told Me, where the, the, the line is, there's UFOs over New York, and I ain't too surprised. So what was his sighting? Okay, it's August 23rd. It's 1974. It's uh, a couple of weeks after Nixon resigned. 
Uh, John has just moved back to New York. He's not living with uh, Yoko. He's living with May Pang, who is his assistant that he had spent a little over a year in Los Angeles with. They've got an, uh, a penthouse apartment on East 52nd Street. It's a hot night. They uh, turn off the AC and they throw the doors open. And Lennon is going over, um, you know, the, the album cover artwork, and he sees something outside. And what he sees is something about the size of a Learjet. He says later that you could throw a brick and hit it. Um, it was silent. It was hovering. And he described it as a, a giant cone flat on the bottom, uh, alternating white lights going around the bottom and a giant non-alternating uh, red light at the top. He calls May Pang out. She sees it. And uh, they were astonished by it. And according to both John and May, they spent uh, at least 10 minutes looking at it before it sort of silently floated down and up the, uh, the East River past the United Nations uh, building and finally disappeared. Wow. I mean, uh, that is fascinating. Absolutely well, fascinating. You know, uh, Frank, one of the things that fascinates me is that Lennon uh, did have, he called uh, his friend, uh, photographer Bob Gruen, and, and they uh, had Bob called the police uh, uh, department, and they said, oh, about three people had called in. They called Daily News. They said maybe five to seven people had called in. And the thing is, I've, I guess those, the, the newspaper uh, decided not to write about those people because I've never been able to track down any of those witnesses. So I would simply say today, Boy, if there's anybody listening whose grandmother or grandfather saw that uh, or they're still alive, I'd like to talk to a witness who also saw what John Lennon saw, because that would be very helpful. Uh, absolutely. Hey, I have uh, pages of notes that I want to go over with you, but I am out of time. Uh, Bryce, any chance we can get you to come back one day next week to uh, continue the conversation? I, You know what? I would love to do it. I, I think you have a great show, and I particularly like the fact that you – you know this topic, and I, it would be a pleasure to talk to you. Well, about uh, thank you. We'll look forward to uh, getting you uh, back on. We've been talking with Bryce Zabel. If you want to not wait until next week to hear more of Bryce Zabel, then check out the Need to Know podcast, which he co-hosts. They delve into these subjects in a big way, and uh, it's really just fascinating stuff. An incredibly skilled writer. Thank you very much, Bryce. We'll talk next week. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can call me, 800-848-9222. It's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Boy, that was a fascinating conversation. Uh, hey, coming up in just a couple of minutes, we're going to do denunciations. And uh, you can, um, you, you know, we'll have a lot to comment on. I have a ton of stuff to get to. This is one of those days where I wish we had a five-hour show instead of a four-hour show. Because there is a ton of stuff in my stack here. And I already have not gotten to everything that I had hoped to get to. Uh, but we can continue the conversation on the world of in the world of Facebook at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan, or in our Facebook group, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. It's funny, my sister was over with my brother last Friday, uh, last uh, Sunday, rather, and 
there was a discussion all about, you know, the their my uh, brother's forthcoming wedding in Hawaii. And we were talking about some of the things that the callers brought up. So my sister Claudia said to me the next day, hey, what day did you have that segment about the the wedding in Hawaii? And I gave her the day. And uh, she went back and listened. She, you know, really liked some of the things she's heard. She said, callers are so funny. I said, I don't know why you're not listening to this show on a daily basis like everybody else's. And she said, I really need, I don't have four hours to listen. And Arthur Idala said the same thing to me over the weekend. He didn't have four hours. He wanted one or two segments. And Claudia said, I need 45 minutes a day highlighted. Now, we used to do a, a highlight of the week podcast, but I think we're taking a break from that. So what I thought might be fun is for those of you that are members of the Facebook fan group, post every day which 45 minutes of the show you think are essential listening. After every show, just go on to the Facebook group and post these are the 45 minutes, if you only have 45 minutes, that Claudia or Arthur Idala or somebody has to listen to. So if you want to do that, just go on Facebook and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Denunciation's coming up in one minute. But in the meantime, let me tell you how you can improve your digestive health. That is with Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. It's a great product, a gentle daily cleanse that tastes great and works to get things moving. If you are feeling stopped up and bloated, if you're feeling constipated, that is not good news. So Life Change Tea is all natural, non-GMO, gives you a ton of energy without caffeine. One package will last you an entire month, but it's only available by logging on to the website GetTheTea.com. GetTheTea.com. Use the promo code FRANK. They'll know that, uh, that you heard about it from our show. And you'll get free shipping if you use that promo code FRANK. GetTheTea.com, promo code FRANK. It's time to feel relief with the tea that makes you go. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, it's that time. Friday is the bewitching hour. And this particular bewitching hour, it's your time for me to hear, for me to call out injustice, for me to call out oppression, for me to call out shenanigans wherever they appear. It is indeed time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciations. All right. I must begin with the denunciation of Declan Hawney. Declan Hawney is a 40-year-old Irishman. And he dragged his uncle's corpse into a post office in order to collect his pension. Now, that's pretty reprehensible. But this person is not just a thief and greedy. He's stupid. He insisted that he didn't know that his uncle was dead. He also insisted he was not trying to rob him. This is just crazy. 
he and his friend, Declan Hawney and his friend Gareth Coakley, propped up the uncle. And they went right into the post office to try and get this uncle's pension check. Now, we don't know what the situation was here. But, I mean, in terms of how the uncle died. But this is bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. And the more you read about this story in the Irish Mirror, the more bizarre it seems. Um, Walking into a post office with a dead man, saying you don't know he's dead, and trying to get his pension check, come on. Absolutely uh, inappropriate. I want to denounce the University of Rhode Island. The University of Rhode Island has decided to revoke the honorary degrees that they have bestowed upon Rudy Giuliani and Michael Flynn. I find this so reprehensible. Uh, when you have a when you have a situation where you're making the decision to give someone an honorary degree. What good is that honorary degree if you can just take that degree back? I mean, this is crazy. And, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm repeating everything I said about Philippe Patain in the first hour. But the fact that Michael Flynn and Rudy Giuliani might have done things that the board of trustees of this particular university finds a little distasteful, that doesn't change the fact that these are incredibly accomplished men who were honored for their accomplishments in the first place. You want to take a look at the crime miracle that Rudy Giuliani performed? Let's look at it. You want to take a look at the uh, leadership that he displayed on September 11th and afterwards? Let's look at it. Just because he thinks that the election was stolen doesn't change the fact that he did things that were worthy of being honored. So University of Rhode Island and any school that would revoke an honorary degree, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the New York City Department of Homeless Services. I almost can't even believe I'm going to read this story, and I found it. I find it incredibly distasteful and unconscionable. A toddler... Lyric LeBoy was trapped alone with her mother's corpse for five days inside a city homeless shelter. Let me repeat that. Repeat that. A 15-month-old baby girl was trapped with her mother's corpse for five days inside a city homeless shelter. Then finally... Workers at the East River Family Center found her huddled under a bed near the body of her mother, a 26-year-old woman who had died of an accidental overdose. This baby girl, covered in human feces and badly dehydrated, was rushed to the hospital. This is crazy. Now, the uh, baby's father plans to sue the city and the Department of Homeless Services for $5 million in damages. If this is true, and who knows, maybe he's trying to exaggerate the extent of their incompetence for the sake of this lawsuit. I hope not. But if this is true, this is absolutely reprehensible. Everybody involved in the supervision of this particular facility needs to be fired. 
because this is about as egregious an error as you can make. I don't think uh, it's going to. I mean, look, I know it's only 15 month old and you don't generally remember the things that occur when you're 15 months old. This is real trauma. And I think that this is something that is going to take years for this little girl to recover from. I want to denounce Paul Erhan. Paul Erhan is a Georgia sheriff's deputy who called Ahmed Arbery. By the way, the three men that were convicted of murdering Ahmed Arbery uh, have all been sentenced to life in prison. But this sheriff's deputy referred to Ahmed Arbery as a criminal who got the death penalty. This poor, innocent man, a 25-year-old black man, was jogging through a neighborhood in Georgia when three men chased him in pickup trucks for about five minutes and one killed him with a, a shotgun. And this lunatic said that he was a criminal who got the death penalty. You know, shame on you. And he lost his job. I'm not saying whether he should have lost his job or not. I I tend to give people the, you know, especially on their private time when they're not on the job, the benefit of free speech. But I don't know what kind of a reprehensible human being you have to be. A 25-year-old man is murdered, and you're... Your conclusion of that is to say he's a criminal who got the death penalty. I mean, you're really one sick puppy. Uh, So, Paul Erhan, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Ann Clark and June Kim. These were the two investigators, uh, the special prosecutors that the Attorney General, Letitia James, put together to do the Cuomo report. Look, I have had June Kim's number... For 14 years, when June Kim was uh, an assistant U.S. attorney, I was pointing out the things that he was doing in court. I was pointing out when June Kim was in private practice, the things that he was doing when he was called to testify in court. When he was the acting U.S. attorney after Preet Bharara got fired by Trump, I was pointing out the things that he was doing then. And now I am so glad that the rest of the world seems to have caught up with me. But I'm less familiar with Ann Clark, but June Kim... And Ann Clark did a horrible job with this investigation for this Cuomo report. And they simply ignored all of the facts that didn't fit into their narrative. This report, the more we learn about this job that they did, the more that we learn this wasn't an investigation. This was a conclusion they already had, and they were coming up with things to fill in the blanks. They ignored these two prosecutors, seasoned prosecutors. They ignored important questions regarding the credibility of some of the accusations against Cuomo. As more evidence emerges, these questions about these two ignoring facts just grows louder. So Tish James said on her August 3rd press conference, this evidence will be made available to the public along with the report. But in the intervening months, only a fraction of the evidence has come out. Now, on Thursday, the last of the 31 transcripts of sworn testimony was laid out, was was made public. And there were a lot of problems 
with the credibility of these so-called Cuomo accusers. And that was not at all reflected in the report that these two put together. When we see the testimony, we see what they were saying. And we see what's omitted from the report. In her redacted testimony, um, Lindsey Boylan, the first of Cuomo's accusers, said that on a flight, Cuomo suggested playing strip poker. Her sole collaborator was Howard Zemsky. Z- uh, that corroboration, her, her sole, sole corroborator, was Howard Zemsky. That corroboration, which was a reversal of an earlier denial that Zemke had issued, came only after Boylan sent him a message saying, quote, I can't wait to destroy your life, you blank follower. So understand, Lindsey Boylan was reaching out directly to witnesses in this case, cursing at them, threatening them. I consider that a threat. And that's not reflected in the report. In my view, that reflects not only on Lindsey Boylan's credibility, it reflects on the credibility of Richard Zemsky. And there are a number of other witnesses that have credibility problems, and it's totally ignored by the report that these two Keystone cops issued. We know what happened here. Letitia James wanted to end Andrew Cuomo's tenure as governor, and she did. And her collaborators in that were Ann Clark and June Kim. And these two people were not interested in finding facts. They were interested in a show trial. If They didn't even want a show trial. They were interested in killing Andrew Cuomo's political career. Now, I, I, look, I'm no fan of Andrew Cuomo, as we know. But these two are a pathetic excuse for prosecutors. And um, the more I learn about June Kim, again, I've met him a couple times, nice enough guy. He is ethically challenged to the nth degree. I must announce Volusia. Volusia is in Florida. And Volusia is specifically the shark bite capital of the world. Um, they, they've released the, the um, annual report from the International Shark Attack file, and they found uh, 73 documented attacks last year. Now, the most of them happen to be in Florida, and most of them happen to be in Volusia County. So Volusia County, unfortunately, I do denounce you. I must denounce the... Police agencies throughout San Diego County, California. They are right now breaking the law. The police, I want to be very clear, the police in San Diego County are breaking the law as they spend thousands of dollars every year on technology that tracks the location of people's cars, even though the information collected most often has nothing to do with solving crime or protecting the public. So now there's a media outlet called iNewsource, and they did an investigation that found that until recently, five police departments in San Diego County have been violating state law by sharing 
the information that they're collecting with agencies all over the United States. Now, two of those departments, Carlsbad and Coronado, decided to change their policies after they were questioned about it by the press. But this is outrageous. You Just because you're law enforcement, just because you're police, that does not give you the right to violate the law, and yet that is precisely what has been happening in San Diego County. I want to denounce my hometown, New York City, because New York City is number one in rent. That's right. We are seeing rent skyrocket. Do you know what the median rent price in New York City is right now? It is now $3,260. That is extraordinary. We are quickly becoming, we have become a city that nobody can afford to live in. Now, we saw rapid growth after the rollout of the COVID vaccine. Residents returned to the cities. It drove rent back up. And nowhere is that more pronounced than in New York City. We are seeing... Increases in one-bedroom apartments, studio apartments, two-bedroom apartments. And uh, the price of rent is getting up, is going up, 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 and up. Uh, all right. I have to denounce the New York State Assembly Democrats. Now, six years ago, six years ago, the New York State Assembly Democrats, who which control the legislature, make no mistake, they committed to providing video broadcasts of their committee meetings, which I thought was a great thing. I'm all for transparency. Let the public, let the taxpayers that are paying the salaries of all these politicians, let the taxpayers that are paying for the electricity up in Albany, let them see what's going on. Not everybody can go to Albany and watch their legislatures and legislature in action. So I thought it was a great thing when the Assembly Democrats committed to video broadcasting their committee hearing. Well, nearly six years after the Assembly Democrats made this commitment, they still are not broadcasting these committee hearings. Six years! Speaker Carl Hasty was asked about this on Tuesday. His response, we're still working on that. We're still looking at it. I think we are going to try to get it done as soon as possible. So, I think that's where we are. What? In six years, you can't put up a video camera that people can log on to um, and see the hearings of what's going on? I don't understand it. And at some point, look, at some point you have to ask yourself either how can you be this incompetent or what in the world do you have to hide? You don't want people to see how the sausage is made? Is that what it is? And finally, I must announce YouTube. Um, YouTube has banned Fox News host Dan Bongino. Uh, it, he is no longer welcome on YouTube. He has been permanently banned after violating YouTube's terms of service. His two channels have been removed from the service, and he won't be able to make any future channels. They announced that they would ban all content related to vaccine misinformation, 
Bongino and several other commenters have moved over to alternative video platforms like Rumble. But my issue with YouTube is not just banning Dan Bongino, who is one of the most watched and most, and I don't care much about Dan Bongino. Sometimes I think he says things I agree with, sometimes he doesn't. But I like to be able to have the right to see him. I'd like to be able to type in Dan Bongino on YouTube and see the videos that he's creating and see his commentaries on things, even if I end up disagreeing with them. I like that freedom. YouTube doesn't want me to have that freedom. But I'm not just denouncing YouTube for suspending permanently Dan Bongino. I'm dem- I went and looked at their terms of service and what constitutes harmful content. YouTube de- defines harmful content as, quote, content that focuses on controversial issues and that is harmful to viewers. Well, excuse me. I mean, that's not at all objective. That is a totally subjective criteria. Tell us what that means, uh, content that's harmful to viewers. How about you say, all right, if there's any content that is calling on someone to perform violence on someone else, maybe that's harmful to viewers. And maybe any content that depicts violence. Many, maybe content that shows um, People committing a crime, whatever. I'm not saying that should be the criteria. At least give me an objective criteria. YouTube has a totally subjective criteria, which opens them into just opens them up to just blacklisting anyone they want to blacklist. And in this case, it's Dan Bongino. So the YouTube, I do denounce you. I was one of the early users of YouTube. I was telling people about YouTube when it was first invented. I couldn't believe such a cool thing existed. And now I must say I am sorely disappointed that they have joined the um, the ranks of the censorship class. All right. I'll tell you, I don't know how soon until it's, um, you know, against YouTube's policy to tell you about alternative investment vehicles. But I want to talk to you a little bit about gold. Gold is valuable. Gold will always be valuable. Gold was valuable a thousand years ago. Gold is going to be valuable a thousand years from now. Let's look at the short term. Inflation in inflation is out of control. And right now there are predictions that the stock market sell-off that we've been seeing might continue. And uh, the stock market, a lot of people believe it's really overvalued and that stock prices are exceeding the fair value a lot of, the, of a lot of these companies. Additionally, these bad economic policies that are coming out of Washington and the global instability in places like Eastern Europe and Taiwan and China and elsewhere, that is fueling fear in our economy. And institutional investors that traditionally invest in the stock market, they are selling off to realize that their gain to realize their gains, which is crushing the stock market. Charlie Gasparino made that point to John Katsimatidis this week on the, the Cats at Night show. What can you do about it? You invest in gold. You invest in silver. You invest in precious metals. Call Legacy Precious Metals. They can advise you on all of your options, whether that's rolling your existing retirement, in, retirement account into a gold IRA or whether that's holding physical metals directly in your home. You can speak to an IRA expert. 
at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-932-0635. That's 866-932-0635. Or you can download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestors.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. Excuse me. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Now, when you download that, they're going to ask you where you heard about it. Tell them you heard about it from me. Frank Morano, I'd appreciate that. It's totally free. You have nothing to lose. And uh, at the very least, even if you choose not to invest in gold, you'll get quite an education on the subject. Any comments about the people, the entities, the institutions that I have chosen to denounce? Give me a call. 800-848-WABC. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. Talk Radio 77. WABC. This is the other side of midnight. Uh, this, this is kind of weird. This song is this one of my picks? Where, where's this from? Is this one of yours? Yeah, this this is one of my picks. This is one of yours. Okay, and who is it? PM Dawn. Yes, yeah, group called PM Dawn. PM Dawn. Early nineties. Early nineties. All right. The nineties is by far the worst decade of music of all time. Um, without without question, I, I I have never been more certain of anything. Than that. Everything before it and after it was far better. I used to, when when we didn't have to go through this licensing process and I was picking all the music for the show, I would try and play music from each decade that had never been played on the show before. And it was always a, such a struggle to find a good song from the 90s that we hadn't played before. There are good songs from the 90s. There are. But it is much more difficult to find a good song from the 90s than it is from any other decade, uh, from the history of recorded sound to the present day, in my opinion. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on anything we are discussing. Let me begin with Benjamin in Australia. Benjamin, I appreciate you listening down under. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Morano. I, I just pricked up my ears when I heard you talk about the sharks in Florida because I'm, I'm guessing they haven't been vaccinated for coronavirus. Um, <laughs> The sharks haven't been vaccinated in Florida. I I I don't know. I don't know. Well, with that governor you have there, that you know he doesn't want to vaccinate everyone. I'm guessing um, your sharks in Florida have have not been vaccinated. Yeah, so I, don't, I don't understand how they can kill more people. You know, when they haven't been vaccinated, they're probably all dying there. <laughs> well, I, I didn't say they killed more people. I said that they were that they were biting more people. Uh, Vol- Volusia County, uh, specifically, there was 17 shark bites there last year. That represents. 15% of the global total, that toppled Australia, barely, which had 12 shark bites. Well, I'm pretty sure the sharks here are all getting their COVID shots, and they're in <laughs> tip-top health. It wouldn't surprise me. Thank goodness for them, Benjamin. They won't have to worry about uh, not being admitted to a restaurant, if that's the case. Thank you. See, got listeners all the way in Australia. That is awfully nice. So, last Sunday night into Monday morning, I come on with Curtis Lewa for the last few minutes of his show.
to preview what I do, you know, what I'm going to do on my program. And we ended up talking a little bit about the mob because I've launched this new podcast called The Racket Report. I'm working on some big stuff for that next week. And because we don't really discuss much of the mob on this show. And so Curtis said, well, you got to watch this special on the Gambino crime family. And uh, immediately I was interested because that's all he told me about it. He said, you want you to watch the special on the Gambino crime family. So I said, all right, I'll watch it. I'm interested in learning more about the, uh, the, Gam- the Gambino crime family. And so then I start seeing the promos for this show. And I say, I am not going to watch this at all. This is a love letter to Sammy the Bull Gravano. I have no interest in watching a television series that's all about Sammy the Bull Gravano. And um, my wife was asking me about this because she doesn't follow this stuff like I do. She said, say, why? You, you're friends with all sorts of gangsters. Sammy the Bull Gravano, in my opinion, is a reprehensible, reprehensible person, right? So he killed 19 people that we know about. 19 people. More likely he killed 20, but he's admitted to killing 19. But he probably killed many more than 20, but there's at least a 20th that we probably know about. Now, Sammy, in, when, it, when he got arrested and it came time for him to pay the piper, he could have done any number of things. He could have gone to trial, mounted a vigorous defense, and then left it up to a jury to decide his fate. Or if he knew he was guilty, if he knew they caught him dead to rights, he could have pled guilty and paid the price for a lifetime of being a criminal and a murderer. Instead, what Sammy then tried to do was flip. He Not try, he did. He became a cooperating witness, a rat. Now, why do I refer to a cooperating witness as, as a rat? If you witness a crime and you choose to cooperate with law enforcement, I think that's a very admirable thing. I would do the same thing. But, if you choose to devote your whole life to criminal activity and being a criminal, and then as soon as it comes time for you to go to jail, you then decide, oh, no, 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 no. Let me give up everybody I've ever met in the criminal world in exchange for a get-out-of-jail-free card. So the guy gets a get-out-of-jail-free card. He gets um, basically two and a half to three years, really less than that, because I don't know how much time he actually spent. He gets essentially a slap on the wrist for admitting to killing 19 people. 19 people. 19 people, husbands, fathers, brothers, sons, dead because of him, and he gets a slap on the wrist. He gets to go write a book that he's paid a lot of money for. He gets flown to New York to be interviewed by Diane Sawyer. And then... He gets in to go into the... Oh, and by the way, we then know he didn't tell the truth. When he ratted on everybody, he didn't tell the truth. He was selectively leaving out criminal cohorts that he didn't want to see go to jail. He used this as his opportunity for retribution. Joey D'Angelo, for instance, the man that drove the uh, the taxi cab where Curtis Lewa was shot in June 19th of 1992. Joey D'Angelo said he was shocked when he read Sammy's statements cooperated because he was like a, Sammy was a surrogate father to him. Sammy left Joey D'Angelo out completely 
of his cooperation with the government and all sorts of other things. Even Sammy's daughter said he went out of his way to protect people in his crew. So the guy is a lifelong criminal and murderer who, instead of going to prison, chooses to rat on criminal cohorts, but he doesn't even do that, honestly. Then you would think if you got a get-out-of-jail-free card, if you got away with murder, literally, and you got flown to New York to be interviewed by Diane Sawyer, and you got to write a book that you got paid millions of dollars for, and then they made a movie about your book, and you're something of a celebrity, you're the toast of the town, you would think you'd lead a monastic existence. Instead, what did Sammy do when he gets this second lease on life? Well, he's in the witness security program at living in Arizona. What's the first thing he does? Well, one of the first things we know about anyway is Ron Kuby, who was co-hosting the Curtis and Kuby show with Curtis Lee at the time, was representing the family members of the family of the people that Sammy Gravano killed. These family members say, hey, we don't really like the fact that Sammy just wrote a book. And he's making all this money talking about murdering our loved ones. We don't like that. We're going to sue him. And they get Ron Kuby to be their lawyer. Now, Ron has a way of making sarcastic comments, which are really annoying. Now, back then, nobody even really understood what streaming audio was. There was just the very beginning of people listening to the radio on the Internet. But Sammy was listening to Curtis and Kuby on the radio in Arizona. And Sammy is listening to Ron Kuby make sarcastic remarks about him. And they were trying to serve Sammy Gravano with Sapita, And Ron Kuby says something to the effect of, oh, uh, we can't find Sammy Gravano. We don't know where he is. Maybe if somebody could staple a subpoena to Sammy's head, maybe then he would show up uh, and respond to the subpoena. Now, rather than instead of calling Ron Kuby or having a mutual acquaintance call Ron Kuby and demand an apology, which Ron Kuby gladly would have offered, what did Sammy do? Sammy then, again, I want you to keep in mind, this is after he got away with 19 murders. Sammy then chose to take out a contract on my friend Ron Kuby's life. Now, this is while he's in the witness protection program. The guy tried to whack a lawyer and a radio talk show host while he's in the witness protection program. But as the game show hosts say, wait, there's more. The guy gets a get-out-of-jail-free card. The guy doesn't get to keep the millions of dollars that he made from his book by writing about the family members of people that he murdered. So what does he then do? Well, what does any person who has no skills other than being a criminal do? He decides to form an ecstasy trafficking ring with, of course, because he's a family guy, he decides to form an ecstasy trafficking ring with his son, Gerard, while he's in the witness protection program. And lo and behold, he's not just violent. He's not just a thug. He's an incompetent violent thug. And he gets arrested for running this ecstasy trafficking ring. And uh, so... Uh, the guy gets a second chance and a third chance, and 
has proven himself to be a liar, an opportunist, and a criminal every step of the way. Now, he did get out of prison a couple of years ago as a result of Donald Trump's uh, bipartisan First Step Act. He was released, and since then, he's doing everything he can to make money. He's doing a podcast. He's doing all sorts of other things. And uh, he was on this special last night called The Last Gangster. So lo and behold, Sammy has very little credibility with me. So I wasn't going to watch it. Um, And then I said to Rachel, let me put on the first five minutes. This way I could tell Curtis I tried to watch it and uh, I uh, I turned it off. If you're not familiar with the – this aired last night. Apparently got big ratings on the ABC TV network. No affiliation with WABC. This is the trailer to The Last Gangster. The mafia is an evil lifestyle. It's all filled with treachery and double-crossing. They could hug you, they could kiss you, they could smile, and they could shoot you in the head. I knew my father was a gangster. So you think Sammy is a murderer. The guy committed 19 murders. He was feared. His father was being a hitman. I actually was good at it. This is the true side of the mafia. This isn't somebody talking about the mafia. I am part of it. I never seen the Sammy the Bull that the world knows. To me, he was my father. You know, don't come home, sit down at the table. Hey, hey, you know who I killed today? Joe Blow. You won't see him no more. <laughs> I can't do that, right? I lived a double life. I live a family life, and I'm a John Gotti was the poster child of organized crime. He was a mobster's mobster. Pure gangster. He was a stone-cold killer. John Gotti, Sammy, they were street guys. When we walked down the block, it was almost like that movie Goodfellas. It shook the mob. We shook the whole world. When it hit the papers, that Sammy flipped. Whoa. <laughs> there wasn't a person that wasn't totally shocked. He's a rat. He ate the Parmesan cheese. It was almost like if he just stabbed me in the heart. I felt betrayed. That was everything that I was taught never to do. John's a double crosser. I'm a master double crosser. We played chess and he lost. Sammy Gravano is still the mobster he was when I arrested him. He's always going to be a mobster. It wasn't a job. It was a way of life. I never told you about the mafia. It was against the code, and I wanted to protect you all at the same time. It was for money. It was for greed. It was for women. It was for fast cars. For being part of this brotherhood. Truth and lies. Sammy the Bull Gravano. His son, his daughter. What you haven't heard. Probably get in trouble for saying this, but The Last Gangster premieres Thursday night, January twenty seventh at eight seven central on ABC. So I I I said, let me turn on the first five minutes, and I have to tell you, it was much better than I expected. Uh, the production value was very was very good, not great, but very good. If you want to see a great mob documentary. Uh, it happens to be one that I'm in. See Gotti, Godfather and Son. It's on A&E. If you have A&E on demand, just search that. Gotti, Godfather and Son. It's really, really well done. Directed by my friend Richard Stratton. That's great content. This was okay. This was pretty good. Much better than I expected. Then, within the first five minutes, Curtis is in it. And Curtis really pops on screen. And I have to tell you, Curtis, uh, when they can edit Curtis in video form and really limit his shtick, 
and only take the best parts of what he's saying, he comes across as an incredibly engaging and incredibly dynamic speaker. It's only when you have to listen to Curtis for four or five hours straight that you're willing to take a ticket to Guantanamo to get out of that. But when they can limit Curtis to 20 seconds here, 30 seconds here, and only take the most knowledgeable things that he says, the most passionate things that he says, that, um, you know, it really does add quite a bit. So I kept watching it because Curtis was in it. Then, to my surprise, my friend John Gotti Jr. was in it. And, again, this was a very pro-Sammy two hours. John Gotti Jr. was at least able to offer a, an alternative view to the narrative that Sammy was crafting. And I'm glad that he was there because he brought up a lot of great points that I think a lot of viewers wouldn't have heard. So I was glad to see John Gotti Jr. in there, and I kept watching it. They also had a, um, Michael Franzese, who I know is a former Colombo crime family captain, who I'm trying to get on my Racket Report podcast, the son of John Sonny Franzese. He was great. He's always great. They had a, an NYPD detective uh, retired, who's also an author who I got to get on the Racket Report as well, named Tommy Dades. He was very good. They had John Miller, the deputy commissioner of the NYPD, who in the 1990s was a reporter for Channel 4. Then he went to the FBI and then he went to the ABC News. He's a regular guest on the Cats at Night show and the Cats Roundtable. I always really enjoy John Miller. He's very good. So um, there's a lot of very good documentary subjects. Is it worth seeing? It depends on your level of knowledge. If you know all about Sammy and John Gotti and Paul Castellano and their their elevation and their rise and their fall, you're not going to learn anything new. When I see a documentary, even if it's about something that I'm familiar with, I always like to learn some new things, like the Ken Burns documentary on the Roosevelts. I thought I knew a lot about Theodore Roosevelt. I watched that Ken Burns documentary. I realized I knew nothing about Theodore Roosevelt. O.J. Simpson. I thought I knew all about the O.J. Simpson murders. The 30 for 30 documentary, that eight-part documentary they did on O.J. or six-part, whatever it was, on O.J. I learned so much in that documentary. Really, really compelling. This is not a documentary where if you're familiar with the story, you're going to learn anything new. If you're totally unfamiliar with John Gotti and Sammy Gravano and that whole situation, Paul Castellano and the Gambino crime family, you... You will learn, you know, you'll find it interesting. But there's a show and they still replay it. They're not making new episodes anymore. But there was a documentary television series called Mobsters um, where they profile different different gangsters, uh, people like Gaspipe Casso and uh, John Gotti, Bugsy Siegel, Frank Lewis, Jimmy the Gent Burke, Greg Scarpa, Carmine the Snake, Persico. This basically was a uh, there was also a similar show called American Gangster. This was basically a two-hour version of one of those episodes. It was basically the same as one of those things. They recut. There was a lot of archival footage. It was almost like they were re-airing the Diane Sawyer interview that she did with Sammy and then adding new interviews that he had done now. And it was interesting to see how different he looks now as opposed to 1997. My, My wife said he looks like a totally different person. And uh, she said, oh, he was so handsome back then. He looks terrible now. So it was interesting that they got John Gotti Jr. to participate as well. I am sure they paid these guys. I have to ask Curtis if he got paid. But um, I'm sure Sammy got paid, and I'm sure John Gotti Jr. got paid. And I would guess that uh, Michael Franzese and uh, and the others got paid as well. But I'm going to ask Curtis if he got paid. Uh, But 
It was interesting. And you know what was also interesting is the producers of this special actually reached out to Molly. Now, why would they reach out to Molly, of all people, rather than me? They uh, Because Molly's on LinkedIn. See, and there's this whole world that is on LinkedIn that leads to getting reached out to. And so they said, do you have any audio of, um, you know, Curtis talking about John Gotti in the early 1990s when he was shot? Now, we could have found them some audio, right? But uh, Molly did the right thing. She gave this request to the program director and management, and they said, all right, don't worry, we'll take it from here. And there was, uh, they, I don't think, were able to find any audio of Curtis from the early 90s talking about this. So that is missing. That would have added a great deal if they had some old WABC clips of Curtis going off on the mob or, or anything like that. And Molly, to her credit, said, you know, the person you should really talk to about this is Frank Morano. And she cites a few of the areas why I'm something of an expert. And um, that's why they have me in the better documentary, Gotti, Godfather and Son, uh, but they did not call me. They did not ask me to participate. Instead, they used Linda Stacy, and I like Linda Stacy. Linda Stacy's a friend of mine. Uh, I've interviewed Linda Stacy, but she is featured in this this documentary a great deal. And I'll be honest, and I, and I like her, and she speaks well. And certainly, it's nice to have not all men. It's nice to have some women there as well. But if you're playing, which one of these doesn't belong here? It's Linda Stacy. I mean, everything that that she adds to this documentary, I could have added, and then given all sorts of insight based on my history of covering these trials. So you can watch it if you want. I'm sure it's still available on demand. But if you're familiar with the situation and the case, you're not going to learn anything. I I liked it much more than I I expected to. I did not expect to watch it even, and I didn't expect to like it at all. But Curtis really pops on screen. It is interesting to see Sammy, as critical as I am of Sammy, but um, and it's interesting, certainly, to hear John Gotti Jr.'s perspective. So it's on the ABC TV network. I may do a special episode of the Racket Report uh, talking to gangsters and mob lawyers getting their review of this special. That might be next week. The best way that you can um, hear that is to subscribe to the Racket Report podcast. Just search the Racket Report wherever podcasts are available. And you will be able to listen to it. All right, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Mike is in Manhattan. Hello, Mike. As a point, uh, counterpoint to your uh, your uh, deferring to the 1990s as terrible music time, I'd like to point out that your theme music, Enter the Sandman, by Metallica, is 1991. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I I was not saying that there are no good songs in the 90s. I just think there are fewer good songs in the 90s compared to every other decade. I also think the mediocre songs from the 90s are worse than the mediocre songs of any other decade. I just think 90s was a weak decade for music. But it's a matter of personal taste. It's not to say there aren't some gems there. And in, in my view, Enter Sandman certainly is one. They had the whole uh, music scene out in Seattle at the time, uh, grunge rock. I mean, it basically changed music just like the punk rock. Uh, the genre changed music in the 70s. So, Different strokes for different folks, I suppose, Mike, right? Meantime, uh, here's something that will change you. Life change tea. If you have not yet tried life change tea, I don't know what you're waiting for. Life change tea at getthetea.com is a wonderful product, and it will 
provide a gentle daily cleanse that tastes great and works to get things moving. It's no secret that stress can wreak havoc on our digestive system. And if you're feeling stopped up and constipated, you're not going to feel too good. Life Change Tea can help you. It's all natural. It's non-GMO. One package lasts you an entire month. And it's only available by going to the website getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. You can use the promo code FRANK for free shipping. It's getthetea.com, promo code FRANK. And uh, you will feel relief immediately. It's been endorsed by Joe from Ronkonkoma. Joe from Ronkonkoma doesn't just slap his name on any product. He's got He's got people trying to get his endorsement all day long. So it's very rare that he would come forward and actually endorse a product like this, but he has with GetTheTea.com. While you're there, check out all the other great products that they have to offer uh, that are designed for your optimum health. Pine bark extract is on there. Colostrum, uh, bee pollen, vitamin C, melatonin, or any other health supplement you can imagine, you can purchase through GetTheTea.com. Don't miss out. It is the tea that makes you go. If you order anything on there, whether it's the tea or anything else, please make sure you use the promo code Frank. GetTheTea.com, promo code Frank. WABC. 77 The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. So Matt Blaze is trying to talk, torture me with 90s music. This song is called I Go Blind by uh, Hootie and the Blowfish. I mean, listening to Hootie and the Blowfish, a more appropriate title for the song is I Wish I Would Go Deaf rather than I wow. Go Blind. I mean, it's just terrible. This is Not bad. Huh? This is your typical 90s song. This is just it horrific. Is, this is, this typical is 90s. horrific. I'm going to go back to... Um, to picking the music, you and Molly were have you were on a run. You had a good run. People were into it. And if you ever want to see the music that we play, um, and ju- in the case of that song, to know what music to stay away from, just join the Facebook group at Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M O R A N O Radio Fans and Haters. But uh, I think come Monday, you know, we'll, we'll have to I'll have to take ownership of this again because uh, you guys are out of control. You guys are allowing your affinity for the nineteen nineties. To, to ruin the listening experience for the substantial number of listeners that are listening to this program. Now, uh, I do have an apology to make to all of my coworkers. Now, when I left the radio yesterday, I mentioned that I'd gotten a message from my wife that she had not been to sleep all day because my son hadn't been to sleep all day. We had a very good day the night before. Carmine slept for five hours straight. The night before that, he slept for six hours straight. Last night, he did not sleep a wink. Didn't sleep at night at all. Cried, cried, cried. And my wife was up the entire time. I mean, you can imagine how challenging it is. Every time you try and go to sleep, you hear this. 
That was the whole night. She would feed him. She would change him. She would uh, swaddle him. That was the whole night. So she didn't sleep. So she said, I need you to come home right away. So I come home right away. And, um, you know, uh, she got to sleep, and I stayed up with him for another three or four hours. So I get to sleep, I don't know, maybe around uh, 10, 30, 11 o'clock or so. And I I had a scheduled phone call at 3 o'clock. And I had to go to my uncle's auto body shop in the afternoon to help him with a computer issue. So I set my alarm, my drop-dead date of alarm, at 2.45. Now, I'm still half groggy, but I'm thinking, let me do my 3 o'clock phone call, which has to, was a political matter, had to do with, uh, you know, some a new political party and, you know, different things. You'll hear more about that in the future. And I said, let me schedule my phone call for when I'm en route to my uncle's auto body shop. By the way, for those of you that get into car accidents this week because you're recklessly driving in the snow, consider my uncle's body shop, New Dimension. They do great work. And you, New Dimension. So I said, I'll do that. So I text the uh, person I'm supposed to be on the call with. And I say, hey, uh, I'm running a little bit late because I wanted to wake up a little bit and make sure I'm in the car. Let me. Can we do this at 3.30? No, they couldn't do it. We had to reschedule. So um, I go downstairs, and my wife hopes that when I wake up from my midday slumber that I can take care of the baby for a little while so that uh, that she can take a shower, take a nap, run some errands, have something to eat. So that's what, um, that's what she's always hoping. I said, you know, I have to go to my Uncle Steve's shop. And she was not at all pleased. It was almost like... You could see her, it was like putting a pin in a balloon and seeing it deflate in front of you. So she was not at all happy that she was not going to get her afternoon relief. So I, uh, lo and behold, my uncle tells me, oh, no, 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 I was able to figure out that computer problem. You don't have to come. Great. So my wife's happy. I get to stay up with the baby a little bit, take care of him for a few hours while she, do, while she does her thing. I start working on the show. And then it just so happens that same uncle comes over with Japanese food, which is one of my favorite types of cuisine. Could eat Japanese three meals a day easily. So um, we have dinner with him. I still haven't gotten much work done on the show. I work on the show for a little while. We watch Jeopardy. And, um, we, and then I ended up watching this mafia special a little bit while I was working. And so I really didn't get to sleep at all. I got basically three hours of sleep yesterday. So I said, oh, honey, I'm hoping to grab at least a 15-minute nap before I shower and head into work. So I lie down around 9.30. I set my alarm for 10. So let me wake up at 10. I'll take a quick 10-minute shower, and I'll be able to be at the radio station by 11, you know, 11.15, 11.30 at the latest. Still plenty of time. Still a lot of work to do. I'll have to work quickly, but still plenty of time. So... My alarm rings at 10 a.m., excuse me, 10 p.m. for me to take a shower and and start heading here. And I was still just so tired. I said, I'm skipping a shower. I am going to use that extra 15 minutes to sleep rather than shower, which is what I did. So I got a half hour of sleep, and it felt great. I felt a lot better. I was still a little tired after that, but I felt great. But. The big losers in this whole situation are my coworkers who now have to deal with me being unshowered. 
I did not shower yesterday. That is the God's honest truth. That is a true confession. And uh, I think there's a reason everyone is sort of keeping their distance. Now, I did spritz (laughs) a little cologne, and it is a fine cologne. It's Creed. It's uh, not only very sweet smelling, but it's, it's far too expensive. And it's Creed Avantis, and that can mask not being um, showered for a day. But, you know, still, there's no replacement for a shower. So my apologies to all of my coworkers for having to uh, to deal with me today. Thank you. All right. Hey, next hour, uh, we're going to go through some odds and ends. Uh, rather than allow us to get backed up and not get to all the topics that I had hoped to, I have some odds and some ends. Uh, I think uh, Joe Crummy used to call this stuff we, di- we got to and stuff we didn't. We'll do that next. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. is the other side of midnight i'm frank morano uh so coming up at 4 30 we'll play the thousand dollar minute give one of you an opportunity to win a thousand dollars by answering 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds then uh, a lot of you might be stuck inside tomorrow might be looking for a good movie to watch so we're going to talk with uh debbie schlussel who is a conservative commentator. She's an attorney, but she's also something of a film critic. And I find her film criticism pretty entertaining. Now, she always manages to find a um, a kind of a, a film, yeah, I don't know, a, a political angle to all the films that she's reviewing. And a lot of times that that causes her to not like certain films. I find her very entertaining. And very informative at times. So she is going to join me coming up at 4.35. And um, we are going to have an opportunity to take your call. So we'll do open phones. Anything that's on your mind, we can chat about. Or anything you want to get off your chest, we can chat about. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. All right. I just saw, by the way, speaking of Curtis Sliwa, he is going to be filling in on the Bernie and Sid show today from 8 until 10. Now, I'm not sure why. I guess that means Sid is leaving at 8 and that Curtis will be in from 8 until 10. Uh, But he's certainly capable of hosting a radio show. And I'm sure he's going to have quite a bit to say about this special on ABC TV yesterday, The Last Gangster. So... I tuned in yesterday at 7.40 a.m. with great interest to the Bernie and Sid show because, remember, we were trying to figure out what the announcement was that they were, you know, going to announce. There was all sorts of speculation about what the announcement might be. Ultimately, uh, the people that theorized that it was related to the new baseball team, the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, which is my new favorite professional baseball team, 
they were correct. The, the announcement was, let's be honest here, a little anticlimactic because they essentially announced something that was announced seven days ago. Uh, they announced that the new manager of the team was Edgardo Alfonso. Now, that doesn't make it any less cool. I'm glad he was here. I'm glad they did an event. And uh, this was the new Staten Island Ferry Hawks manager yesterday, Edgardo Alfonso. We're going to go all the way with a guy like you at the top. That's, that's the whole idea. Um, it's too bad I'm going to play, but I'm going to depend on all the 25 guys that I put in there in the, in the, in the, in the field. That's, that's the mentality. You have to have the winning mentality. You have to um, go to the competing mentality because uh, if you don't think that way, I think you're, you're going to have a hard time. Now, uh, I'm certainly glad that he was here. I thought it was a great interview and a great discussion, and I think it's wonderful that he's going to be managing the baseball team. I do have to say, though, I am a little bit disappointed in everybody that knew that that announcement was coming and didn't tell me. Right now, I am a big Med fan and a huge Edgardo Alfonso fan. And I, you know, so Sid Rosenberg is aware of what a big Met fan I am. And the era that I was following the Mets most closely was the Edgardo Alfonso era. And he was one of my favorite players when he played. I would have loved the opportunity to stick around and meet him, uh, maybe take a picture with him, uh, share some memories of uh, the days that he played with the New York Mets or even the Giants. I, or, or, or I would have loved to have talked to him. So Sid could have said something. Their producer, Justin Ellick, who gets here at 2 or 3 a.m., he could have given me a heads up. He could have said something. Or um, the person that was there for the announcement, Gary Perrone, was my old boss at the Brooklyn Cyclones. Gary and I worked with Edgardo's brother, Edgar. Gary could have given me a heads up and said, hey, by the way, I'm coming into the radio station this morning. Don't say anything, but this is what we're announcing. Nobody said anything to me. I mean, I, I think if the shoe was on the other foot, I mean, who, who, who is Sid Rosenberg really into? What, what is Sid into? I mean, uh, who... If uh, who's the biggest, uh, I don't know, who's a big steroid person? Uh, Lou Ferrigno. Did Lou Ferrigno ever take steroids? Is that public? I don't know. So uh, if uh, if Lou Ferrigno was coming in here, I would say, hey, Sid, by the way, you know, Lou Ferrigno is, is coming in. I don't know. Who does Sid like? Sid's not into hero worship, honestly. Uh, he's not. He's not one of these people wh- that when somebody dies, he feels the need to post photos of them and stuff. Um, so I don't know. But I would have given him a heads up. Gary who I lobbied on his behalf for him to get the job that he got. And remember, I was the MC when they announced the new name of the team because Gary asked me to. Worked for the guy for three years. Gave him some of the best years of my life. He could have given me a heads up. So I was disappointed that I didn't get to stick around for that. Now, I probably wouldn't have been able to stick around till 8 o'clock anyway because uh, I, have to, I had to get home and help Rachel with the baby. But it would have been nice. It would have been nice. It doesn't make it any less cool that Edgardo Alfonso is um, managing the team. As I said, the the best Cyclones season ever was when Edgardo's brother, Edgar, was managing the uh, the Cyclones in 2001, where they ended up having to share the championship with the Williamsport Crosscutters because the season was cut short due to the um, 9-11 attacks. But I would have loved to have met Edgardo Alfonso. I'm sure I'll have that opportunity in the future. So uh, that's that's that. Now... Usually on Fridays, we have a meeting at 7 a.m. And, um, you know, it's a good meeting. It's informative. We go through the week. We go through 
the streaming numbers, we go through the ratings, we go through the different things that are on the show that are working, we go through everybody's complaints about the show, and it's, it's a productive meeting on the whole, but it does mean you end up getting to, you, you know, you're getting to sleep a little, you know, a little later than you otherwise would have. Because in my case, you know, usually I get to leave here around 5.30, and instead, you're getting instead to leave around 8.30, 9 o'clock. Now, yesterday... I we I heard that our program director Matt Meany, who usually quarterbacks these meetings, is not coming in today. He's taking the day off for personal reasons, and so I'm not sure if that means that this meeting is still happening. I'm not sure. Do you have any insight into that, Matt? Are you Matt, are you assuming this meeting is happening or is not happening? It's not happening. It's not happening. Yeah, because I mean, it could happen in absentia with with, with Chad quarterbacking the meeting. It, it could. But as far as you're aware, it's not. But as far as I know, it is not happening. Interesting. Okay. Because I was actually really looking forward to this meeting because ratings came out this week. And it's the holiday book. And I wanted to see what our ratings were. But, and this is really a little inside baseball here. But the ratings for the holiday book are notoriously bad for talk stations. Because during the holiday book... Everyone ends up listening to Christmas music. So that's why they created the special book just for holiday music. And so and so I um was a little nervous, quite frankly, because if anybody has had issues internally with the kind of content that I've done on this show, I can always point to the blockbuster ratings that we've been doing really since April. We've been trouncing our nearest competition since April. And uh, I was a little nervous. All of a sudden, if the ratings go down, I really can't, you know, then I have to listen to what everybody says. But if people are giving criticism or feedback or suggestions that I don't want to listen to, I can say, well, look, I mean, look at the numbers we're doing. Clearly, we have some idea of what we're doing and it's working. So here's what I did. And and this keep this between us. I went to some friends of mine that work at other radio stations. I said, listen, I don't want to get blindsided in this meeting tomorrow. Can you get me our numbers for the holiday book? Just the overnight numbers in the 12-plus category. Just send me the 12-plus overnight numbers. And so uh, I, I got a look at the numbers yesterday, and I have to tell you, I'm not allowed to share them with you because this is uh, proprietary information that the radio stations pay Nielsen a lot of money for. But I, I can tell you we uh, we did on this show – in spite of the fact that it was the holiday book, the biggest, which is not good for talk radio usually, we did the highest ratings that we've ever done during the last month. The highest ratings that we have ever done. Up from the previous month, up from the month before that. Last month, we did the highest ratings we've done since this show began in September of 2020. It's a staggering number. It's a st- I, I, if I could repeat the number, you almost wouldn't believe it because apparently statistically everybody is listening to this show. Everybody. Uh, the other talk station, WOR, we are doing about four times the audience that they're doing from 1 to 5 a.m. I mean, it's, it's, not, even, it's not even close. There's, if, if this was a competition, if this was a softball game, it would end because of the mercy rule. So... I was all of a sudden looking forward to this meeting now that I know what the ratings were going to be 
because, you know, I'd like for everybody in, internally to see what these ratings are. But I am I guess that does mean we will be able to get home a little bit earlier. And I'm sure my wife will be fairly relieved that uh, I can assist with uh, young Carmine and, uh, you know, and do that whole thing. But in the meantime, there are a few things that I've noticed that I find quite irksome. You know what really grinds my gears? My wife pointed this out to me yesterday. You go into a store, uh, let's say the UPS store, but it doesn't even have to be a store. It could be a restaurant or it could be anywhere, a barbershop, a gym, whatever. And there are all sorts of people in society that are wearing face masks around their chin. They're, they're not wearing them as masks. It's not covering their mouth. It's not covering their nose. It's not covering anything. They're wearing it around their ears, and it's drooped around their chin, and it looks like a chin strap. So my question for you is, what's the point? Why bother? Either if you're required to wear a mask or you want to wear a mask, wear the mask. If you're not required to wear a mask and you don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Who is being helped by using this face mask as a chin strap? I don't understand that at all. To me, it makes no sense. If you can explain it to me, give me a call, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. And that's not all. You know what really grinds my gears? Fight Club, a picture that I just love. It's 23 years old, and it is more timely now than ever. And I talked about this film when Meatloaf passed away because he's an integral part of what makes this film so great. Fight Club is the latest victim of Chinese oppression. The end of Fight Club has been cut in China. Now, this is nuts. So when you watch Fight Club on a popular Chinese streaming platform now, most of the film looks exactly as it did when it was released in 1999, except for the ending. I don't want to spoil the ending for you if you've never seen it. But instead of a successful, uh, instead of a series of buildings being destroyed, the Chinese version ends with a note to viewers that, Changes the ending. The whole ending is changed. It, I, they changed the whole ending of the picture. The censored ending was discovered recently by fans in China who watched it on this uh, platform, Tencent, a giant Chinese entertainment company. It's led to criticism from Human Rights Watch and from me and chatter on social media in China and in the United States. Um, the writer of the book on which the film is based, sarcastically wrote on Twitter, this is super wonderful. Everyone gets a happy ending in China. Now, it's unclear whether the changes to the film's Chinese edition were the result of self-censorship, meaning the distributors of the film, or a government order, or some combination of the two. Sometimes it's a combination. But this much is clear. Fight Club is not the first movie where the version made for the Chinese mainland audience differed from the original. We have seen this time and time again. These film studios are so desperate for the Chinese marketplace that they will censor these films to Chinese satisfaction. And it really ticks me off. I hate this.
absolutely hate it. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC if you care to comment. Joe from Ronkonkoma, hello. Hey, Frank, another great show, and congratulations on the numbers. Thank you. Um, oh, no problem. I, like I said, uh, like you and the Life Change tea I'm drinking right now, it's addicting. Um, as far as the mask, I agree with you 100%. Um, I've been going to a barber for over 14 years, and last week I went in there with my son, and I asked him kindly if he would put his mask on. He had it on his chin. He refused, and me and my son both walked out. You know, um, there's a lot of stuff going on Long Island right now about the kids being masked, not masked in school. And I had a discussion with my both children, and they both said even if they're told they don't have to wear them, they're going to wear them from now until at least flu season's over with because they don't want to bring nothing home, um, you know, to my wife and my and myself. And they always make sure that their mask is properly wet. I, I see it all the time in stores, like you're talking about. They got on their chin, one of the straps hanging down. Why even bother? Well, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying is, uh, look, and, and I'm not the biggest, uh, and again, I, I think everybody should do whatever they need to do to, to be comfortable and to be safe. I'm not the biggest mask advocate, but uh, I just don't understand it. Uh, why bother? I mean, why not just take the mask off? What, what good is it yes. doing anyone being around your chin? Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, safe travels tomorrow. And send my best to your wife and your, your son, all right? Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it very much. My, my plan is to be home all day tomorrow. Uh, I am uh, scheduled. There is this Friday night group of people that I spend time with every day. But um, uh, not, not every day. Excuse me. I, m- I misspoke. Getting a little punch drunk. Every Friday night, I used to get together with the same group of friends. And I've done it less and less. I haven't done it since the baby was born. But I was thinking, and they're just, they live 10 minutes from, me, from from my house. I was thinking of bringing young Carmine to my little Friday night gathering. And if the snow is not too bad, I will bring him. But if the snow is coming down, then maybe I'll just try and bring him next Friday. So we'll see. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Jimmy is on Staten Island. Hello, Jimmy. Mr. Morano, all the respect in the world that I have for you and my little Carmine, that little Bella Bichetti. She thank you, means thank a beautiful you. little one. But don't take him out in the snowstorm because God forbid he gets sick, dead what? Well, no, I won't. I won't. I mean, only if uh, it's not yet snowing. Then, yeah, I mean, all right. I, you know, exactly. But listen to me. My mother grew up five of us, and we're all a year apart. Madam, we got more slaps, bottles, and thrown in the crib, and my mother couldn't care if we turned blue. We just had to fall asleep. <laughs> That's number one. Number two, as far as these masks go, it was said, uh, I listen to a lot of talk radio, you know, intelligent people like yourself, and I'm not blowing smoke. I enjoy your show. That's why I'm up. I love listening to you. But let me tell you something. The masks have been proven that if you wear them, it's like putting up a chain link fence to leave mosquitoes out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so then and don't wear, I wear it. The don't mask. wear it. I don't know. I hang it from the ear. Because when I walk in a couple of stores, you know, there's always that one crackpot, you're taking my life, you're putting my life in danger. So I told her, listen, you're, you're about 10 minutes away from death, relax, I'll put it on. And it makes it easier for me. But I would never do anything out of the ordinary other than be me. I can't breathe with that mask on. And I know it does nothing. It's for naught. But... I understand bringing something home to your mother. I mean, I, you know, if I go to my mom's, 
I make sure I wash up, dress up, clean. But we all had the virus when it first came out. And I lost my cousin Anna Marie in March when it all started. 33 years old, poor soul. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. And her mother brought it home from school. Yeah, well, I don't doubt that. Now, Jimmy, a couple things. One, I'm not a masker. I I am... I don't want to say that I'm anti-mask, but uh, I think I am. Uh, I, for me, for me. But I do recognize that masks can be helpful in reducing the transmission of disease, not just COVID, but flu and colds and all sorts of other things. Uh, I recognize that. Two, just so everybody's aware, you know, Jimmy mentioned having had COVID when it first came out, when it first started. You can get it again. We saw that with Omicron. Um, probably not as severe as you got it the first time, but you can get it again. We now know that that's the case. So don't assume, again, I mean, I'm a big advocate for the vaccine and people getting vaccinated, but don't assume that just because you had COVID a year and a half ago that you can't get the Omicron variant, for better or worse, you know. Um, But everything Jimmy said, I get. Uh, he, He listed his reasons for not wearing the mask or wearing it. In certain circumstances. So wear it or don't wear it. Put the mask on or take it off. Why would you wear the mask around your chin? That I don't understand. Don't get it. 800-848-9222. Raymond emails me. Raymond writes, I noticed that you constantly refer... To John Gotti, excuse me, I notice you constantly refer to Junior Gotti as John Gotti Jr. You probably know that he is not a junior. They have different middle names. The family called him Junior, but it was never meant to be taken literally. Now, okay, he is right. John Gotti Jr. is not technically a junior. His name is John A. Gotti, and his father's name was John J. Gotti. Now, let me ask you. A lot of people don't follow mob uh, news as closely as I do, right? If I start uh, referring to John A. Jr. Gotti, I, I, I mean, isn't it just simpler for me to say John Gotti Jr.? Now, while he's not technically a junior, that is his nickname, both in mob circles and in personal familial circles. He calls himself John Gotti Jr., So even though he's not technically a junior, he calls himself John Gotti Jr. And for ease of simplicity and for people just understanding what I'm saying, I'm going to say John Gotti Jr. instead of saying John A. Gotti. Because I say John A. Gotti, you have to remember, oh, was that the father or the son? Was the father's name middle initial A? I mean, that's what we call nitpicking, Ray. That's annoying. That's like what I would expect from a Charlie Finch. I'm going to say John Gotti Jr., because people will understand what I'm talking about, even though, yes, he, because he's John Angelo Gotti, not John Joseph Gotti, he is not technically a junior. I get it. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Henry is in Manhattan. Hello, Henry. Hi, good evening. Let me uh, go a speaker. Um yeah, uh, you spoke a minute ago about Fight Club and the ending for the Chinese market changed. You're kidding, I did? Yeah, I was listening. How insightful of me. 
Well, uh, what I'm wondering is why you think it's so terrible for a country to want its own uh, reputation uh, in, for internal purposes to be a, a positive thing as opposed to a negative thing. Well, because you're destroying art. You're changing art. You're ruining art. Well, let me ask you this. When the FCC uh, put a uh, ban on seven words on the radio, and suppose somebody like, uh, you know, uh, what they call them, shock jocks, uh, wanted to use those words, and that was his style, why isn't that putting a, a, a destroying art? Uh, well, two different, completely different things. In the case of the radio, these are the people's airwaves, right? So there are certain standards that you have to adhere to if you want to broadcast on public airwaves. Secondarily, no, who makes well, up those hang on, standards? Hang on. Well, well, our 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 public officials do um, that work for the taxpayers. Second, it's not as if um, they're taking existing works of art and then censoring them to be on the radio. Three, um, this is this is just the it almost reminds me of the 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 closest comparison is when John Ashcroft, who was so uptight and obsessed with nudity, when he covered up the nude statues, where he put clothes on the nude statues. That's what this is the equivalent of. Only it has a much greater effect because there could be a billion people that see this. I don't see any correlation between the FCC regulating radio stations and taking an existing film and changing the ending of it. Also, if you have to bleep a curse word, if you have to bleep a curse word and you can't say something on the radio, that doesn't change the beginning, middle, or end of a radio show. They've changed the ending of the film. I mean... Uh, what about what? What are they going to do when they get Titanic? Does the ship not go down in the movie Titanic, in in the Chinese version? I mean, give me a ing break. See, we got we were able to censor me, and the art still is preserved. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Billy is on in Long Island City. Hello, Billy. Hey, Frank, as far as, like, when you go to the store and the mask, the guys with the mask around their chin, you don't have to, have to worry about that soon because they're closing down all the stores because of shoplifting. So whatever you go to the store you go to now, it's not going to be there next year. Don't worry about it. All right. Well, we'll enjoy it while it lasts, I guess. You know what this show reminds me of? I remember when I was a kid watching The Twilight Zone. When, remember the episode Willoughby where the guy uh, jumped off the train, really, but he got, he, he didn't want to deal with reality, so he, he had this fantasy, like, stop Willoughby where there's no care in the yes, world. Yes, I do remember that, actually. There's no crime. Not everything was all hunky dory. That's that's what this show reminds me of. What what this radio show reminds you of? Yeah, like it's just like an escape from reality. Which I guess I'm not. You know, I mean, maybe you're right. I guess I I don't think the city's going to come back anyway. It, it, I realized I went to the vigil in Times Square for that Asian girl, and, and all these politicians made speeches, but if they did not make one speech that's going to prevent it from happening again. Well, thank you, Billy. I'm flattered to be compared to any Twilight Zone episode. Wow. But um. I look, I do try to keep this show as entertaining as possible so that it can be an escape. But just about every day we have discussed the the very real possibility that we're about to go to war with Russia. I don't I don't, I don't know that, that you'd be able to consider that an escape. Exactly. 
Raul is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Raul. Hi, how you doing? Uh, I'm a New York City uh, TLC driver. I, I use the platform Uber. So with my mask, I'm always, uh, I always have it under my chin. When I get a passenger, I put it on. When the passenger is gone, I, uh, I put it back under my chin. Uh, is it possible for me to do uh, a denunciation? Go ahead. It's your dime. I want I want uh, 30 seconds. I just, I just want to denounce the commissioner from the Taxi Limousine Commission, Commissioner Olosi. She's been at her post for two years, and drivers have yet to receive not even a nickel. We hope we can speak with Mr. Adams to change this because she's not going to be part of the new TLC. She's going to be part of the old TLC, and uh, the drivers are starting. We need, we need a pay raise. Thank you, Frank. Hey, uh, I'm with you on that. I do think they need a pay raise. We'll squeeze in one more, and then we'll do the uh, $1,000 minute. If you want to be the seventh caller to 800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-9222, you can give us a call right now. And if you're the seventh caller and if you've never played the game before, you can uh, try your hand at 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds to win $1,000. You can go ahead and call right now. 800-848-9222. Mario is in Brooklyn. Hello, Mario. Good morning. You're doing a great job there. Thank you. Uh, congratulations on your baby. Uh, a little late, but um, uh, I mean, I guess you know uh, Junior has a pizzeria, right? Restaurant? Yeah, I, yeah I've been there. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. I haven't been listening, so I figured... No, I didn't mention it just because I, it wasn't really relevant to, you know... The conversation. Yeah, I, I never. I never the, my, a lot of people in the area say the food's good, but the pizza's okay. Not not great, but uh, I see him back there. He's got a little hat on. <laughs> he's, a, he's like a fun guy, you know. He is indeed. Uh, next time you're in there, Mario, uh, tell him uh, tell him you listen to this show and uh, t- give oh, him definitely. my best, please. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Be the seventh caller, and you'll get to play the thousand dollar minute, and then we'll talk with Debbie Schlossel. We'll get her take on the news of the day. And get her reviews on some movies you might be able to see tomorrow. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. UABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. If you have uh, not been listening to Debbie Schlussel, you are going to want to hear our discussion coming up in just a minute. We will cover everything from motion pictures to the Supreme Court. She's sure to say something that will make you laugh, whether it's intentional or not. She's also sure to say something that will uh, infuriate you. Uh, In the meantime, uh, you might also find her movie reviews quite helpful because a lot of people are going to be stuck in the snow tomorrow, and she's seen a lot of the films that are available uh, for you to watch on demand. But in the meantime, it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank 
Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's meet today's contestant, Jim in Afton, New York. Hello, Jim. Hey, Frank. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing really just dandy. Um, I appreciate you asking. Thank you, Jim. What uh, are you familiar with this contest? Have you heard it before? Yeah, I've heard it here and there. Yeah. Okay, so the timer will begin after I ask the first question. You get a question right. I'm just going to move on to the next question so we can get through all ten. And if you get a question wrong, uh, Matt Blaze will play a buzzer and you will not win. You ready to go? No problem. You got it. Go ahead. Okay. What is a common term for a person made out of snow? Snowman. What does each star on the American flag represent? Each state. What is the name of the current Manhattan District Attorney? Alvin Bragg. What ice cream shop is known for having 31 flavors? A Baskin Robbins. Which French artist sculpted The Thinker? Uh, which uh, French, French artist? Uh, Picasso. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Rodin. Uh, it is Rodin's The Thinker. Um, uh, Rodan, Rodan sculpted the thinker, uh, but uh, a valiant effort by Jim. He got uh, four correct, lost on his fifth question. Take Jim's information, if you would, Ryan, and we will send him a consolation prize. Well, it's a prize for all of us. No, no consolation whatsoever. It is a top-tier prize every time we get to communicate with Debbie Schlussel. She is an attorney, an author, a political commentator, and a film critic. And from time to time, she's kind enough to join us dark and early on a Friday to tell us what movies are worth checking out. Debbie, it's been too long. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Thank you. It's good to be back. So, Debbie, I had said uh, when that article came out in Politico and then there was subsequently another article in the New York Post where they were looking for a conservative uh, female for The View, I had said that I thought that you would be the ideal choice for such a role because you seem to uh, fit, check all the boxes in what they're looking for. have, Have the good folks over at The View reached out to you yet about that? What's happening? No, they haven't, unfortunately. And, you know, in the past, when they've been looking for a conservative, uh, twice in the past, they actually have reached out to me, but not this time. Um, So I'm a little disappointed. I think, uh, thank you. I do think that I checked the boxes, maybe not all of them, but most of them. And I think that I uh, really would give these women uh, a run for it when they're debating issues. I think what they, who they've been interviewing so far have been a lot of never-Trumpers also. And those people uh, really don't represent people on the right in America. Um, you know, you, half the people in the country, almost half, voted for Donald Trump. Right. And the women they've mostly had did not vote for Trump. So, uh, you know, and many of them are very moderate. You know, I was reading all of the the diff- articles about the different hosts and what they're saying is what they're looking for. And it almost seems like they don't even know what they're looking for, except they want a conservative that's really a liberal. That's very funny. Well, I, I hope uh, people that uh, agree with me, they will make their voice heard uh, on in the spheres of social media and elsewhere and tell the view that uh, we want Debbie and that Debbie Schlussel would be a welcome addition uh, for the uh, for the view. Now, 
Uh, before Thank we b- before we get your take on the movies, I also have to take advantage of your legal expertise. Uh, the news coming this week that uh, Justice Breyer is going to be retiring. President Biden says he's going to pick a black female to replace her. And uh, this is not going to be a black female along the lines of Deneen Borelli. I think that's probably a guarantee. Of all the people that have been talked about, of all the people that are in consideration, obviously nobody's going to share your view of uh, the Constitution or your ideology. But is there anybody that you think would be better or worse than anybody else that's being considered? Well, um, I do think that all of the people that are on this short list, if you look at some of their cases, they are out and out liberals. I mean, they are not moderates. They are like you you pointed out that nobody's going to be a moderate on this list. He is picking somebody that is woke, that is a social, that is a liberal social activist, um, pretending to be uh, an impartial judge. That's who is on this short list. Um, are there conservative black female judges or just, you know, what I'm always looking for, just a fair um, black female judge that, has the experience in terms of federal being on the federal bench. Yes, there are some that are um, not as radical as I think the people that I've seen on the short list, but there aren't that many. But there's nobody, for instance, there's nobody that's been talked about that you say, all right, well, obviously I'm not going to agree with the decisions that this person writes, but as far as qualifications and character goes, this person's not as bad as the others, and there's nobody on the list that say, wow, I know I'm not going to agree with whomever he picks, but this person would really be egregiously the most horrible. There's nobody in either category that screams out to you at this point. Not really, no. Okay. Not really. Um, I think unless Joe Biden wanted to pick somebody that, you know, was nominated by a Republican president recently. But listen, there aren't that many black women that are on the federal bench at the trial level or at the appellate level. But there are but there are enough to to pick from. um, And he's not going to pick. A few, the few moderates who were nominated right. well, by, yeah. for I mean, example, I'll, I'll, George W. Bush. A lot of the people that uh, that voted for Biden, you know, they voted for him with the expectation that he would pick a reliably left-wing Supreme Court justice. But neither right. here nor there. Hey, but, uh, also, before we get to the movies, the Golden Globes, uh, which used to be a celebration of movies and television, they were not aired this year on television, and they were not even streamed. It was almost like it was a, a secret a secret meeting somewhere that no one was even allowed to know about because of uh, apparently the diversity issues within the Hollywood foreign press. What did you think about this? Did you care about that at all, that there was no Golden Globes this year? I did not care. And I don't know which countries are members of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which is the organization that puts this on and votes on this. But I would imagine that not a lot of the African countries or other countries that traditionally have a large black population are members of this. And I just think it's ridiculous. Listen, if you have an organization that does not deliberately discriminate, which there was no allegation this organization does that, and it just happens to be that there aren't a lot of black members, you know, I believe in the free market. 
And you should go with people who have joined your organization voluntarily, who meet your requirements. That's it. It shouldn't matter what color they are, which is the whole thing with the Supreme Court also, which, by the way, I think that whole thing with Joe Biden's pledge to only appoint a black woman is it's it's racist, it's sexist. And if I said that as an employer for a position, I it would be illegal and I could be sued. Yeah, a caller, so, a caller raised that yesterday. Uh, it's certainly a different standard when uh, when you're when you're putting uh, people on the Supreme Court. Uh, Finally, last non-film related question. You are Jewish. You've uh, talked about that before, an an observant Jew. A school board in Tennessee has banned a Pulitzer Prize winning novel about the Holocaust from being taught in its classroom. The board members in this uh, Tennessee community voted in favor of banning the novel because it contained swear words and a naked illustration. Your reaction to this, Debbie? Well, you know, I have a mixed reaction. On the one hand, you know, I am the daughter and grand, well, the granddaughter of Holocaust survivors, but my mother was born in Bergen-Belsen camp right after the war. My grandparents met there, and my grandparents were survivors. You know, I've heard many, many stories about what happened to them, and, and you know, it's a very important issue to me. Um, and I think it's important that children learn about this so that, Um, it's not repeated. Um, And anti-Semitism in America right now is at an all-time high. However, the book is Mouse, M-A-U-S, and and it's it's basically it's a graphic novel. It's a comic book. It's not a serious, serious novel about the Holocaust. I mean, it is and it isn't. And I can understand the concerns of this uh, school board. I don't agree with them. But there are so many other books better than Mouse, which is, in my opinion, vastly overrated for a number of basically political reasons and woke reasons. There are so many other novels that I bet they do have in their library Hmm. that are are about the Holocaust. And I think the press in this one uh, instance, the media is trying to say, oh, evil uh, red state. Republican types of people don't want to hear about the Holocaust, and that's not really what's going on here. So I don't feel it's, it's uh, fair to to denigrate them or say that they're, you know, I think what's being implied is that they are anti-Semitic and so on, and I don't think that's the case hmm. here. Uh, well, I'm glad I asked the question because uh, I knew you would have a thoughtful answer. All right. On to the films that people may see Thank while you. they're stuck in the snow tomorrow. A film that has gotten a lot of buzz. I haven't gotten around to seeing yet, it yet, but it's gotten some award buzz. It's been talked about a great deal. Is Licorice Pizza. What's Licorice Pizza, Licorice Pizza about, and what's your take on it? All right, so Licorice Pizza takes place in the early 70s, and it's about this high school teenage boy who has a crush on this woman that is, in her 20s that has visited the high school um, as an employee of a of the photo company. Remember, we used to all take photos. Maybe they still do this at school. I don't know with, with uh, fo- digital phones and all of this, they do that anymore, but for class pictures and so on. He falls in love with this girl that works for that company, and he chases her around, and they they have a platonic relationship. It's kind of like a platonic romance. If, if you could say that, 
Um, and it shows all their very unlikely adventures in California in the 70s. Um, and you know what? On the one hand, it's sweet. It's a sweet romance, and there's no nothing illegal in it. But on the other hand, I felt like it's a wild goose chase, and nothing really ever happens. And, you know, it is about a teenage boy who nowadays, if he got caught, uh, having a kiss with somebody that was 25, that 25-year-old could, would be charged for child molesting. Um, so I just thought the movie was a little bit overrated. Mm. Um, like I said, there's a lot of unlikely adventures. There's a, a scene where they're um, with uh, Barbara Streisand's then-boyfriend. Um, there are some other scenes with the, with the current aging movie star played by Sean Penn in the movie. Um, and Bradley Cooper plays Barbara Streisand's um, boyfriend. He's very funny in the movie, by the way. But the rest of the movie I thought was honestly kind of boring and a wild goose chase. And I think the movie is very overrated. Liberal movie critics, the mainstream movie critics, love this movie for some reason, but it's just really not a plot. It's a, a scene of events and... Like I said, it's just nothing happens. There's no suspense to it. You don't want to know what happens next. Is it a comedy or a drama? I guess you would call it the the current term of dramedy Dramedy. because there are parts of it that are serious. There are parts that are funny, but it's really just a story. It's not really a lot of laughs. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Now, I remember the horror movie Scream, the Wes Craven movie Scream that came out in the late 1990s with uh, Drew Barrymore and uh, Courtney Cox. There's another Scream out right now. What's this one all about? All right. So this is the latest in the Scream series of movies. They're calling it a requel. Um, Oh, boy. it, It really, yeah. It, it, we've seen the Scream movies. They're um, basically each movie has the same essential storyline, which is that there is somebody dressed in this scary costume that is the murderer that is murdering a bunch of teens in a town. Um, this has that same plot, but it's it's the new one. But you have, and it's a whole new cast of characters, younger kids. But you do have three of the older. From the original movies coming back, you've got David Arquette, Courtney Cox, and Nev Campbell. I I actually enjoyed this movie. I expected to hate it, but I do like a good suspenseful, scary thriller. And this was that. Um, I do think that they while they they did mock sequels of movies and horror movies, and I enjoyed that at first. They went a little bit overboard towards the end. And it just kind of got ridiculous, but it was enjoyable. Um, what's interesting is that one of the main characters um, is Jack Quaid, who is Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan's son. And it was a little off-putting to me because I kept seeing Meg Ryan's face with a beard on it. Um, but other than that, I thought it was really, really good. All right. Now, we, I am familiar with the concept of a remake I'm familiar with the concept of a sequel. What is a requel? It's a word they made up to mix remake and sequel. So it, this movie uh, does have the events of the first film in it? 
It does. And in fact, at the very beginning scene at the very first film with Drew Barrymore getting the call from sure. the killer and then the killer get breaking into the house and trying to kill the original character, that ha- happens in this movie also. There are a lot of scenes that are very similar, but played out again in modern today today's time and with this new cast of characters. Oh, I, well, I, I enjoyed the first Scream, so I may uh, I may check this one out based on your recommendation. But uh, just to be clear, it ignores Screams 2 and 3, I guess. Well... Or no. Or don't give it no. too much I mean, Yes and no. They Really, this takes place after all the other Scream movies. I mean, I remember I saw the original. I was in the middle of grad school. I mean, it was it was in the mid '90s when I saw it, maybe early mid '90s. Um, so it's been a long time, and they do recognize that there have been a lot of uh, killers in the in the Scream movies, and a lot of people have died. It's not like they ignore that that happened. It's just that it, it's very similar more than anything to the first one. Okay, because I know they did that with the Halloween film. They would make uh, sequels, and then they'd ignore them, then they'd make requel, uh, uh, remakes, right. and then they'd do sequels to the remakes. But well, that's interesting. All right, uh, tell me about this film, See For Me. What's this about? All right, so I really like this movie. Usually at the beginning of the year in January is one of the two months where Hollywood releases bad movies to die a quick death. The other month is August, by the way. But I... There have been a few good movies in January, and this is one of them. It's a, it's a great thriller. It is in mostly art house movie theaters. It's about this woman who was an Olympic skier, but she has gone blind mm. because of an accident. So instead of practicing skiing and trying to learn how to ski blind, which apparently you can do, she has taken to being a house sitter and a pet sitter at various people's houses. And what she's really doing is she is stealing stuff at these homes and selling it with one of her friends so she can make money. Um, And in this movie, she goes to, during the current story of the movie, she goes to a very nice home. It's dark. It's night. It's the dead of winter. And she can't see. And she uses this app called See For Me, which gets a seeing person to see through her camera. Mm which way to go and how to get places. And while she's there, some criminals break in and she has to escape them and try and outsmart them. And I just thought it was very suspenseful Hmm. and very scary. And I enjoyed it. And it was very scary without being very bloody. What's the 355 about? So I did not care for this movie. It's basically the, this group of women who are secret agents um, played by various female movie stars like Jessica Chastain, and they are fighting to stop the evil men of the world from getting this uh, device that, if it is gotten, could uh, like could be like an electromagnetic pulse. It can interfere with various electrical devices and shut down. Uh, planes out of the sky, make them fall out of the sky, can turn off electricity for whole cities. And it has been available on the open market from other villains and another villain stole it. And they're trying to stop this device from being used on the world. Um, I didn't care for this movie. First of all, it's not believable when women 
beat up men who are far stronger and larger than them. And secondly, these these female uh, super agents just really were boring. There was nothing they yeah. did that was exciting, and I, the story was kind of blah. All right. Well, Debbie, we're going to have to end it there. So if people are into horror movies, they'll probably like the new Scream, especially if they're a fan of the franchise. And uh, everybody, it sounds like, will like the uh, the movie See For Me, Licorice Pizza, and the 355. People can avoid those and not miss anything. Right. All right. Well, thank you, Debbie Schlussel. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter. You can check out her website. There's a lot of interesting things on there. DebbieSchlussel.com or DebbieDoesPolitics.com. We want to make her the new co-host of The View, the new conservative uh, female on The View. So tweet at the folks at The View. Write to the folks at The View. Tell them you want to see Debbie Schlussel on there. What do they lose by trying her out for a week? That would be a real hoot. All right, we'll do 15 seconds of fame next and give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds straight ahead. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is the other side of midnight. Well, let us do, before we get to the WABC early news, a lightning round of other side of midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Faith. Keats and Howard Beach, hello. Hey, good morning, Frank. Great show. Listen, another shout-out to my compadre Cheech there, Anthony. Anthony, where's the aluminum delivery? Anthony. Right, uh, Tom in the Bronx. Yeah, uh, Frank, find an expert on sea vegetables. It would, Like, for the other side of midnight, it would be an interesting topic. Good idea. Finally, Tiago in Newark. Read the Janine Machine by Richard Blasberg. Uh, he was on already. We don't need to hear from him. Uh, hey, uh, that slams the lid on things for today. 